One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is Spartan 117. Anyone hear me? Over. Isolate that signal. Master Chief, you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship? Sir, finishing this fight. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And before we get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode, as always, we are going to cover just everything that's been going on within the past few weeks within the Halo community. So the only two real things we want to touch on is that the first is that 343 is saying that the combat evolved flight tests are going to be starting in February. I think they were originally supposed to be in January. They got pushed back a little bit, but... Mm-hmm. It's combat evolved, people. We can chill. We're only going to be really excited about, you know, two and three. But other than that, we also have the Halo YouTube channel is now, at least they only released one so far. They're starting to pick back up on doing some lore videos. They have the original narrator from the Halo Waypoint lore videos. So that's really cool. It's almost in vain of Oni releasing these files to the public saying, you know, hey, this is what happened on Reach. And some people are speculating they're going to be doing that. For the release of each game, so we're going to get some lore videos about Combat Evolved, then 2, and 3, and so on. But now moving on to the topic at hand today, we are going to be covering Halo Reach. Mm-hmm. I know you guys have been really excited about this. We just made a post about it today saying this is the episode that's coming out Friday. And, you know, we've already been getting a lot of people saying they're really excited about this one. Over the past, people have said ODST and Reach, you know, after 3, were the ones they were looking forward to the most. I am really excited about this one. Alex is kind of really excited about this one. But that being said, let's talk about the game itself. Halo Reach is the sixth installment in the Halo franchise, the fifth developed by Bungie, and it would be the final game that they develop for the Halo franchise. The game revolves around Noble Team and their battle to defend the planet until its roaring end. The game was released through Microsoft for Xbox 360 on September 14th, 2010 in the US and the UK and released September 15th in Japan. Moving on now, let's talk about the shift of power that started happening while Reach was in development. So during the development of Halo Reach, Microsoft would start to build up the 343 Industries team in order to take over the Halo IP. This transition, however, was not easy. Bungie would once again resort to their territorial ways, showing much animosity towards quote-unquote strangers taking over their baby. Though 343 Industries has been working behind the scenes on handling all extended releases with books, comics, toys, etc., since around 2007. Going back to the initial negotiations with Microsoft before the deal was done that Bungie would no longer be an external developer, Bungie had to give some code support for Reach to 343 Industries post-launch, along with migrating subscribers from Bungie.net to 34 Industries people. 
And so Frank O'Connor was one of the only few core Bungie employees that would continue to work on future Halo titles. O'Connor claimed that he wanted to stick with Halo, considering Destiny was going to be an RPG, and RPGs were really never his thing. Marty O'Donnell would, at one point, spend two hours trying to convince O'Connor to stay with Bungie, but ultimately knew that his heart was with Halo and it was right for him. Now, and I want to say supposedly, because this was a rumor that I've seen pop up in a couple different forums, but supposedly Bungie had their ideas when it came to the overall direction of Halo 4 and left them with 343 Industries, but it wasn't the end result that Bungie had intended. Again, take this with the biggest grain of salt just because I've seen a lot of people say, well, this is what happened when they left, but no one can ever really cite a source. So there are two quotes that I pulled from Bungie employees at the time who were transitioning out of you know developing Halo when it came to sticking with 343 or sticking with Bungie. So the first one was from Jamie Greismer, and he said, I considered going over to 343 for a while. I thought, well, I definitely know how to make a Halo game better than those guys, so maybe I'll go over there. But my heart wasn't in it, so I would have done a good job over there either, and they had their ideas where they wanted to take it as well. And the second one is from Marty O'Donnell himself, who had said, I had no desire to talk to 343 because I was 100% Bungie and 100% Destiny. I mean, essentially at that moment, we were competitors, right? We were trying to make a Halo killer, and they were trying to make Halo. Hmm. So it, it was just this odd time mm-hmm. when all of that was going down. So that brings us to the early stages of development. So a good amount of Bungie employees were fed up with working on Halo games. Understandable, they're kind of going through this, and they obviously know 343 is coming in. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. But Reach would be the last game that Bungie would have to develop for Microsoft. The game would have the largest team for a Halo game to date, which is 130 Bungie employees working on Reach, which does not include all of the outside companies and freelancers they had working on the game itself. And it also included the largest budget thus far. However, during this, some of Halo's core creators had little to no part in Reach's creation, though Marty O'Donnell would state that this is the definitive Halo made by the people who made Halo. Yeah, and so, you know, touching on Halo 4, Bungie had considered doing Halo 4, but thought it wouldn't be able to be just a standalone game. They didn't want to pick up where they left off with Halo 3, fearing the outcome would be lackluster due to Bungie getting tired of telling the story of Halo through a linear timeline, and fans would get burnt out on it too. They wanted to tell a boots-on-the-ground story rather than a space opera like Halo 3. So thus, they decided to go back to the original trilogy in a way, but instead of revisiting it, they would work on the story that happened before it, taking the best elements of the three Halo games and making it a greatest hits. Though Combat Evolved was their biggest source of inspiration for Reach, wanting to reintroduce the sense of exploration and an open world. With this, they could tell a classic Halo story, but truly show the ugly side of war. They laid out the timeline of the military campaign that happened during the fall of Reach and began to create the game. Bungie originally just wanted the game to be called Reach, no Halo in front of it, but Microsoft insisted that Halo be attached to the title for brand recognition. You know, it starts with throwing Combat Evolved into it, and now it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> we gotta have a little hand of what you at, say at, these yeah, things at, are. At first, it couldn't just be Halo. Now it's like, Halo always has to be there. Yeah. And it and it makes sense, because obviously it's your brand recognition. Mm-hmm. And really, if you're not a hardcore lore fan, you really wouldn't know what Reach was. Mm-hmm. So when, you, when that comes out, like, I could see that number dropping significantly. And like, oh, what's this new IP from... Bungie called Reach. Yeah, is this the IP that they have been teasing? It's yeah. out, and then it's like, 
oh, sh- oh, that, 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 that's a Halo game. I have to go get it now. Yeah, it totally makes sense. But Bungie wanted to bring Reach back to a more humanistic level, like Halo 3 ODST, and differentiate it from the original trilogy. They also wanted to go back to their combat-evolved roots. For example, a new design for the Grunts was actually taken from original Shikai Wong concept art for the Grunts when it was created in the late 90s back in the Chicago Bungie office. Mm-hmm. Some levels wouldn't be as linear like Combat Evolved had their, you know, on-rails-type levels, mm-hmm. so that the player has multiple ways to get to an objective, or on co-op, two players can split up. Bungie would refer to these as pipe missions. So, you know, obviously, like in Mario, you choose your pipe, you go down it. <laughs> different routes. It, it, it'll all lead to the same thing, mm-hmm. but you have different ways of getting there. Mm-hmm. And with this, Bungie wanted to truly make Reach replayable when it came to the idea of taking different routes to experience different enemy encounters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and elites would also go through a total redesign. Bungie wanted them to feel more animalistic and menacing. They would also make the Covenant go back to speaking their native language. Marcus Leto would state... We need the Covenant to be mean and terrifying. This game is darker than any others. They needed to be villains again. David Levere actually created a program for the Covenant languages. All one would have to do is type in whatever they wanted the Covenant to say, and the program would create the dialogue in their language. Additionally, enemy encounters were less scripted and now more adapted to the open area spaces. Bungie used this new rule of thumb to make Reach a more sandbox-style game. I know that when they did that that dialogue, a lot of the voice actors who were doing stuff for the Covenant were having a lot of trouble with that. Because it's, it's gibberish, essentially. Exactly. Halo Reach had a full three-year production as well as Bungie engineers having almost five years to fully understand the Xbox 360's hardware, allowing them to push the console as far as it can go at the time, allowing Reach to have a higher visual and gameplay upgrade from the Halo 3 and obviously the predecessors. Mm -hmm. One huge thing that came from this was the size and scale of Forge World. Bungie also wanted to make Reach feel like a full, lived-on planet, and the graphical upgrades from 3 to Reach helped with that goal. Marcus Leto would actually refer to the planet Reach as its own character. Mm-hmm. They wanted each moment in Reach to feel original and not like it was a concept reused from the original trilogy or, you know, like leftover levels that are like, oh, just put those in there and mm-hmm. that's yeah, Reach. Yeah. Originally, Bungie was going to just upgrade the graphics from Halo 3, but had a few more polygons to add to each asset, which fell short rather quickly. So instead, they rebuilt everything from the ground up. Leto also wanted to upgrade the graphics in order to better compete with upcoming titles. They referred to this upgrade in graphics as a generational leap. And we're seeing that now more and more as new Mm -hmm. consoles come or as you get the upgrade jump from your console, there's pushes towards that. Mm -hmm. You know, just buy a PC, but, you know, that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, back to this. To put it in perspective, there are more polygons in the assault rifle in Reach than any major character in previous Halo titles. In fact... Each character has a couple million polygons. Additionally, Halo 3 only had 100 colliding particles or so, but in Halo Reach, Bungie created thousands of them for all your uh, bashing needs. Yeah, for, for every time you want to blow up that Warthog or Wraith or anything like that. Well, seeing stuff like this is so crazy considering, you know, it's only three-year difference, really. Like, it's odd to see in the same system, mm-hmm. like the Xbox 360, like, why didn't Halo, you know, 3 look like that? But, you know, they, they have more time to understand the Xbox along with new technologies coming out. It, it's just absolutely wild. Well, just to upgrade to the Elite and various mm-hmm. other things that add a little bit more to the console itself. Mm-hmm. Plus, like you said, Halo 3, they're pretty much working off a prototype 
Mm-hmm. And now they've had a system that's been out with a whole you know, array of, of what they can actually push the system to do. Mm-hmm. So it gives them that opportunity. Yeah. So Martin O'Donnell would actually be a key player in Reach's development like he was in Halo 3. Mm-hmm. Even though Frank O'Connor wrote the overarching story of Reach, Marty had a huge hand in fine-tuning it. After getting denied to bring Joe Staten into the mix to help write the script, Marty was able to hire the Halo 3 writer P- Peter O'Brien once again for the project. Marty wanted this story to resemble the Titanic with saying, we know Titanic's going to sink, so how can we make everyone care about care about the characters? Other movies that helped with inspiration were The Magnificent Seven, The Seventh Samurai, Black Hawk Down, Band of Brothers, and Saving Private Ryan. You know those first two were just there because of Seven. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not confirming or denying that. <laughs> Marty wanted each character to be unique and have the player care about them. A good amount of new characters introduced in the game would have pages upon pages of bio written about them by Bungie. This way, the actors and the writers for the story were able to better understand their characters, get you know more into the mm-hmm. head of it. Certain characters would even have uh, certain ways that they interact with one another in in, in the combat and the sandbox and whatnot. Though, to Marty's dismay, a lot of those side characters that he had wrote in were whittled down or entirely cut. Like, there was a separate story from the beginning of the game with the scientist and his daughter. Is it they, the daughter that they find? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they, there was supposed to be a whole story for that, and they cut it out entirely. I can see that. They there just was, went, found the daughter, and then Halsey's like, oh, yeah, anyway, you know, I know you found her, whatever. Anyway, did you see this thing over there? <laughs> literally yeah. what happened. And even so, like, there was supposed to be, I think, a Spartan in a wheelchair and other other Spartans you encounter just throughout the campaign, but uh, that was all cut out. And that makes sense for time constraints and other things like that. Mm-hmm. But early on in the development of Reach, Marcus Leto would take over as the project lead for the game. With this, there was clear leadership in a core Halo title, which they really never had to begin with in a lot of them, Mm -hmm. and a clear route for production. This would also prevent working late nights until the last minute to release the game. Leto would insist on Bungie pushing hard to make the cinematics and characters the best the series would ever see. This meant gutting the original animation system and almost building it from the ground up. Leto would also push for the recreation of a new engine entirely for the game, simply because they could not use Halo 3s for the idea they had, kind of like what we talked about before. Mm -hmm. The cinematics team would also work on giving the characters subtle human details with facial expressions and body language. So, you know, building up to that L.A. noir feel of it. Mm -hmm. And Marcus Leto would also work with the new cinematic lead, Lee Wilson, to accomplish all of this. Shortly after the release of Halo 3, Jamie Grismere would hire his replacement, Sage Merle, who would become the Reach sandbox designer, so Grismere could start working on specs for a game called Dragon Tavern, though this would eventually be scrapped and he would start working on Destiny. Jamie would still act as a consultant for Reach during its development. Now, Paul Bertone would also split his time between Reach and Destiny, mainly focusing on the last year of development for Reach, working on the sandbox. Bertone also insisted on core Halo multiplayer games making their way into Reach, like Slayer and Capture the Flag, that were up in the air at the time. Paul stated that developing Halo Reach's multiplayer was a struggle, though, because, quote, When you get down to requiring communication and coordination by people who don't know each other and who don't give an F about each other, it's just really hard. Halo Reach was also being developed during the same time as Halo 3 ODST, and thus, Reach would draw much inspiration from ODST, 
and a few developers even phrased it as a sign of quote-unquote soul-searching. Bungie also wanted to make Halo Reach a social experience using Xbox Live, Multiplayer, Forge, and Waypoint. Of course, we will be talking about all these things here soon. Yeah, and speaking of Live, we get to the Multiplayer Beta. Mm -hmm. And as announced at E3 2009 by Bungie, anyone with a copy of Halo 3 ODST would receive an invite to play the Halo Reach Beta. Mm -hmm. Even though Bungie said that this was the only way to play it, they would give out codes as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, around like a month or two out, they were just kind of like, hey, you want to play it? Here you go, here you go. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like that very dedicated fan base of like a small section play, and mm-hmm. then it's like, okay, we need to expand that out. Similar to like the flight tests are doing now. Mm-hmm. This is just the weird, not what they'd call a flight test. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, people play it, please. The multiplayer was made playable May 3rd, 2010 through May 19th of 2010. Bungie would feature four maps and five new game types in the beta to test game types along with the size of each match. The new game modes included in the beta were Invasion, Headhunter, Stockpile, and good old Net Test 1. These maps that were included with that beta were Boneyard, Overlook, Swordbase, and Powerhouse. Boneyard at the time was the biggest map Bungie had ever developed, and it was originally a six-on-six. Six. Yeah, which led to an eight-on-eight eight map. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and it was odd because it, like some old concepts they had for like Invasion were uh, talking to Dan Miller about this. They had like a money tree-esque where like, you went into these sections and collected money, and the longer you were in there, you got more money, and then you could use those to buy other weapons. Oh, Counter-Strike, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. And yeah, going back to the net test one, which is network test one, was actually a way to test the new net code by pushing it to its limits. Players would also earn credits for kills and how they killed another player with medals and how much time they spent in each map. Mm -hmm. So Bungie wanted to make this the largest console beta at the time, and they did just that. Over 2.7 million players would log on to play the beta, logging 16 million hours of gameplay. The beta forum on Bungie.net had over 360,000 posts as well, leaving Bungie to go through each one and filter out only useful feedback and information. And I can say, I played this beta. So that was really cool because at the time, I had no idea that Reach was in development. I was still a very casual Halo player, so my buddy invited me over. He's like, you know, there's a new Halo game coming out. Here's the beta. I played a few matches of Invasion, and it was awesome. Mm -hmm. One player spent 198 hours playing the beta, meaning they spent 12 hours a day playing it for the whole duration of the beta. So it's just kind of like an old-time streamer. (laughs) The Halo 3 beta... Had only a little over 800,000 players total, but Reach would beat that during the first day. Mm -hmm. Over 1.4 million screenshots and videos were created, along with over 1.1 billion kills registered. The top used weapon, of course, was the Magnum, with over 143 million kills registered. Even though fans were vocal about it being worthless, uh, every pistol in Halo is amazing. (laughs) And I stand by that. And with that, they had 13 billion credits earned. Some players would reach the max level and unlock all the available armor in the beta after only two days. Interesting. Stockpile and Headhunter were some of the most popular game types, obviously being newer ones Mm -hmm. and people really enjoying them. They've stuck around. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the notable bugs that came from the beta. So elites would sometimes spawn with Spartan abilities, but the animation wouldn't pair correctly. So maybe an elite would have sprint. Headshots wouldn't always register. And then sometimes an invasion, Spartan and elites would switch from offense to defense in the middle of a game when a host migrated. Armor lock was also way too powerful. 
active camo would sometimes affect your teammates' shields, and then players could use evade to break the map. When it came to Invasion Slayer, elites would also win the game types 60% of the time, when theoretically it they were expecting a 50-50 it should split. should be 50-50 yeah. what you want. And, and I can't say how much they adjusted. I don't know how much they did adjust that to do that, but we'll talk about why that could be here soon. So then this one is kind of terrifying. Within the first two days of the beta, when a player would go on to assassinate another player, they would be mysteriously teleported into a black room surrounded by noble team. (laughs) Can you just imagine that all of a sudden you're playing and then it just transports you in that room and you're just like, uh, is this a thing? Should yeah, I, I be like, here? Is this an, is this a new assassination uh, clip for it? It's interesting. <laughs> I'll say that. So the beta would see a fair share of general matchmaking bugs due to the servers at Bungie getting hammered from all the participants playing the beta. Bungie would press on, though, and was able to, for the most part, have a stable run with the beta. So the beta ended May 19th, but Bungie never really told anyone when it was going to end initially. I think they might have even extended it a little bit. Yeah, and that makes sense because you obviously don't know if you need some more time with it or Mm -hmm. you don't want to close it out too early or like hey we're really loving this we want to continue on so it makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah so fans initially didn't like the idea of the new spartan threes being slower and having a lower jump fans really didn't think that it felt like halo but bungie made these decisions to fix other problems so thus they had to make small adjustments to these things like the jump height and the speed and many other complaints that players would have about the new features in the beta Bungie was actually fixing a lot of the bugs during the beta itself, though they could not get every one of them by the end of the beta. Mm -hmm. Bungie would work hard to reassure fans that none of these bugs that had plagued the whole beta would make it into the initial game's launch. Brian Gerard would state that without the beta, a lot of the changes that would have been made to ultimately improve the game wouldn't have been there. So a lot of players felt jarred at first, Uh, from going from Halo 3 to ODST to then Reach, because Halo 3 and ODST, same gameplay for the most part. And, you know, Reach is dramatically different, but Bungie insisted that that was the point. They they wanted you to not be a Spartan anymore, or a Spartan 2. They wanted you to be a Spartan 3. You're weaker, you're slower. Mm -hmm. You gotta work a little harder for those kills. Yeah, you got health packs again. And during that time of the beta, party chats were a huge debate in gaming culture, using it to kind of cheat or, or, you know, over console commands, things like that. Mm -hmm. But Bungie would not hesitate to allow party chats in the beta. Though they would get rid of push to talk, they wanted players to use the open voice chat in-game more. Um, You know, they kind of wanted them to be teams. Mm -hmm. Push that around, kind of get those things going, plus having, like, local chat, things like that. Makes sense the time. Yeah. And like closed betas for Halo 3, Bungie would look at all the data they received from the Reach beta, making adjustments to the maps in order to deliver the best most balanced and fair game they could give to fans. Bungie would at one point feel overwhelmed when it came to the sheer amount of anecdotal feedback they would receive. Eventually, they would filter it to consistent theme of dismay that players would express. So they kind of have these segments for it. Mm-hmm. A lot of hardcore Halo players would give game and map-specific feedback to Bungie that they could specifically use to make the proper adjustments to the core gameplay. And with this, Brian Gerard had this to say... I will say that for almost every person that threw a mini tantrum as to why this was the worst thing that ever happened to video games, there was a person who would write an entire essay about why this is the best thing that's ever happened to Halo. Yeah, and I mean, I do like that they were really seeking out those those gamers that weren't just like, 
the new abilities suck. You know, they would be like... Your well, typical gamer reaction mm-hmm. to anything new. Yeah, they, they would just say, you know, well, the jetpack, I don't think it works with this level because at this point now we don't have any high ground. Maybe switch it to where there are certain points you can only get through ramps and stairs. Sure. Things like that. So it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, let's move on to the later stages of development. So Bungie was looking to brand Reach as its biggest and best game yet and would even have their concept artist create a custom cover for the January 2010 edition of Game Informer. Bungie would brainstorm the feel that they wanted for it and settled on a war journalism kind of thing, like with war photography and whatnot. And I think it really reflects that. It does. And like, there's plenty of times in the game where... You, you They took that idea of ODST mm-hmm. and having like the cameras film everything. Mm-hmm. There's different aspects of that that you get in Reach that I think really helps live up to that idea of the war journalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So during Reach's development, the Bungie studio was actually moving to Bellevue, Washington, leaving the Kirkland studio behind. This meant at the end of Reach's development, only a skeleton crew was left to finish it. Though in the beginning of Reach's development, they knew the grand scale of not only Reach, but the future of the company as well. So they would start to bring on new hires to prepare them for the large project that would be Destiny. So at one point, the Halo Reach group was actually overstaffed. In fact, the new group of hires would solidify Destiny being a first-person shooter, considering that most of the new hires came onto the Reach project due to their love of first-person shooters. So I think it's kind of cool, like, you're seeing how Reach even affected Destiny. Yeah, I mean, it, it really did. Like, you're... Because you're taking this this thing that you have at work with you, mm-hmm. but you're also seeing, like, oh, this is a huge improvement to the the FPSs themselves, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what we're doing in FPS RPGs, so let's take an idea from that. Yeah. Halo Reach would support four-player co-op, like previous Halo titles, but this time Bungie wanted to change things up a bit. Bungie wanted to introduce what they would call, quote-unquote, water cooler moments, slowing down the combat and giving players a break instead of a consistent 30 to 40 stream of enemies leading the player to get burnt out easily in a mission. These little breaks could also come in the form of just a small collection of enemies spread out instead of a large group of consistent enemies, so not like huge battles going on all the time. Mm -hmm. You may just come into like a little patrol squad or something that still gives you a moment of like reprise to kind of collect your thoughts, mm-hmm. look around the environment, get to know the characters a little bit yeah. more with it. Well, that was a huge thing. They wanted people to look around the planet and see everything that they had done. Yes, yeah, character it. itself, as we said. Mm-hmm. Marcus Leto would state that Reach was the best experience for him due to how the studio implemented new best practices for game development. These practices would include less time for animators to import and export their content onto the Xbox from a PC, Engineering, always working on the bugs that crash the game before anything else. New systems would work alongside old systems. Systems never go down for maintenance. Employees would dial down and stick to their role. No one was wearing multiple hats anymore. And producers and managers being assigned to departments. Yeah. So finally had a structure with it. Mm-hmm, yeah, because that's remember we talked to Eric about that, and he said that was a huge thing. Is there was never any management or leadership there. It was just kind of... It was just team leads, but no one to lead those team leads, so no one knew what the other project was working on. Mm, yeah, so it's like, just just figure it out. Mm-hmm. So in October of 2009, Bungie would announce that they had begun casting voice actors, and Bungie looked to work with, you know, current and new voice actors for Reach that had worked in Halo previously. Aisha Taylor would come to work with Bungie once again, but this time she's lending her voice acting talents as a female trooper. Aisha Tyler is actually a hardcore Halo fan. She proudly flaunts it, and she also has a bunch of merch that she gets from Bungie all the time. And she even has a dedicated Halo corner in her home, and she has stated that she loves to play the campaign the most. Now, Bungie would release a trailer for the multiplayer beta 
with Aisha Tyler breaking down every map and game type. Additional actors who would come do voice acting for Reach were Greg Gunberg, Zach Levi, Jamie Hector, Ron Livingston, and Nathan Fillion once again. Marty O'Donnell's father, Bob, would even return to father Bob. Yeah, to, once again like he had been in Combat Evolve 2, 3, and so forth. So sound design would also have a complete overhaul for the game. In one example, a grenade exploding near the player might temporarily deafen their character. Mm -hmm. I always love that addition to it. So each weapon could potentially have up to 100 sounds attached to it. Now, while playing, there can be up to 195 different surface types, 22 audio events, 1,789 movable objects, 24 bipeds or characters, and 165 projectiles. The number of individual sounds going on during a campaign cannot be calculated. The sound department would also work with what they would call the stripey room, which is a room that contained all the textures of the game along with weapons, vehicles, and everything else that they would use to test all the sounds that a player would hear in the Reach campaign, multiplayer, firefight, etc., the game would be shipped with over 60,000 sound files. Just packing it in there. <laughs> yeah. According to Joystick, if you install the game onto your Xbox 360, the load time is reduced by 60% in all game modes. Additionally, if one had an Xbox Slim that only had 4 gigabytes of memory, they wouldn't be able to play co-op at all. Players would have to purchase an external hard drive for their Slim in order to play co-op. Mm, the days. Uh, yeah, the, I, I might have had to have done that when I got my Slim and invited some buddies over. Mm-hmm. Instantly had to Google that, and I was like, well, whoops. Well, now i got to go buy this hard drive that I can't afford, but I want to play co-op. Exactly. <laughs> for months, Bungie struggled with the idea of truly ending it all, killing everyone, including Noble Team, or giving some type of happy ending for a few characters, or even just Noble Six. Nah. They felt that adding too much to the ending might be overwhelming for the player. Eventually, they decided that Noble Six would die on the planet, even though originally executive producer Joe Tung supposedly wanted to cut that ending out. O'Donnell was very proud of Reach's ending. He loved the idea of Noble Six going down fighting and the player ultimately knowing his fate even from the beginning. He or she's fate, I should say. Uh, yeah, I mean... From the beginning. There, there's that argument that canonically he is male, but yeah, he or she, depending I, on I who I play you are. as the she. Smaller character build. <laughs> this is true. So Bungie would proudly state as of June 24th, 2010, they accomplished their goal of reaching zero bugs in the game. The game was officially finished, or what studios called Gone Gold, August 15th, 2010, and ready to be sent out to manufacturers. The game would be translated into nine different languages, with Portuguese being added right at the end of development. So in August of 2010, Chad Armstrong, better known as Shishka, would leave Bungie to join 343 Industries. So I think they said originally two people went over to 343, and I think it was Frankie and Chad. Mm -hmm. So by the end of development, Bungie would finish their final Halo game, though Lars Bakken stated that they may develop another game in 10 years or so down the line. This comment was regarding a 10-year deal that Bungie signed with Activision early in 2010 to help release Bungie's new IP. Brian Gerard would confirm after the deal that, indeed, Reach was Bungie's final Halo game and they were never going to return to the franchise. So, some additional trivia about the development itself. Like ODST, there were rumors being speculated that Reach would use the new Natal from Microsoft, which we know as the Kinect, but Bungie would quickly shut these rumors down. And well, you didn't you didn't want to shout while you're playing. <laughs> hey, give me cover over here. 
which is essentially what they tried to do for Combat Evolved Anniversary, and it didn't really work. Yep. But Marcus Leto, you know, the final thing I want to say is Marcus Leto's favorite aspect about developing Reach was creating the new Spartans for Noble Team. So now moving on from the development, the beta, and everything we know so far, let's talk about what's new. So as we said, we do this game by game. So what's new from when we last played Halo 3 ODST? So the first thing we have is armor abilities. And these came from the idea of making Halo 3's equipment more simplified. So we have sprint, shield barrier, armor lock, real ones no, invisibility, hologram, jetpack, and evade. We also have loadouts now. Uh, which was brought to start competing with Call of Duty because mm-hmm. that was Reach was the first start to make Halo's multiplayer more casual. Yeah, and then we have a new veto and voting system. We also have assassinations. First game we ever got was in Halo Reach, and they were awesome. We have weapon sway. So when a character uses sprint, their their gun is actually moving back and forth, giving it that more realistic element. We have firefight online multiplayer finally, and then we have some new firefight modes: generator defense, grunt apocalypse. Rocket fight, sniper fight, Spartans versus elites, and score attack. And then, you know, as we had talked about, there is a new engine because Bungie did want to push the boundaries for this this game. And the Halo 3 engine just could not handle it at all. So they rebuilt it from the ground up. They also improved the netcode to, to the point that some of the developers referred to it as, you know, almost new. It was really just improved. And then within the field of view outside of your immediate combat zone, there were battles happening between scarabs and banshees and, and everything else going on within the background. Yeah, they had a much more much more interactive, not interactive I would say, but like a much more active background. Yeah, skybox. Whereas, yeah, whereas in other games, your skybox was just kind of like maybe buildings in the distance. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what you're getting. Yeah. So then let's talk about the new weapons that we have. So we have the plasma repeater. That was supposed to be more true to the AR than the plasma rifle. And, you know, when the rate of fire slows, the accuracy increases, which I never knew that, actually. So it was kind of interesting reading that. We also have the needle rifle. And we have the focus rifle, which was inspired by a Forerunner Sentinel rifle from Halo 2. We also have the plasma launcher. And then the plasma pistol had an EMP area blast. We also have the concussion rifle, the DMR, which is the designated marksman rifle. And then we also have the target locator. And this wasn't added in until the final months of development of the game. Now, if you're going to use the target locator in firefight, it doesn't recognize friend or foe. Anyone will be caught in the crossfire and they will be killed. Once they're full. <laughs> and then finally, we have the grenade launcher. You know, this is, you know, that re- it has a small explosion, but also has an EMP blast that will disable any vehicle, you know, within that specific area. Now, moving on to vehicles, we have the Spectre, and that's just the mix of a Wraith and a Ghost. And I think that's probably one of my favorite vehicles to ever come out of Halo in general. So then something else that was introduced was Reticle Bloom. So after the game was released, Bungie updated the game to allow this to be disabled for custom games. We also have the Seraph, which technically is not the first time we saw it. We did see it in Halo 2, but this is the first time we would see it in action. And doing research for this game, I didn't realize that the Seraph originally in 1998 was going to be a tank. We also have Space Banshees, Space Phantoms, and we have the Spirit, which is reintroduced from Halo 1. And then we also have the Rocket Hog. Now, something else that's new is that we have female playable Spartans for the first time. You know, as Alex said, always goes female, smaller build. So then more so about some enemies or things you can kill, we have the MOA, which are basically just giant chickens. 
We also have... Or, or you could say ostriches, which is the bird they're based off of. You never know. <laughs> go, you ahead, never know. go ahead. Go ahead. I was like, how, how much more do they cook ostriches than they do chickens? Because that's the thing. On, on the planet Reach, they, like, use them... They cook them a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you could also cook an ostrich if you kill an ostrich. Well, I, I don't know. I eat more chicken than I do ostrich, okay, Yeah, you Alex? know what, guys? Uh, yeah, the moas, they're really big chickens, but stretch their neck out, smush them down a little bit on their back, give them ostrich feathers and ostrich legs, but they're still <laughs> big chickens. So then, you know, uh, a cousin of the jackal, we have the skirmishers, very annoying enemy. We also have the guta, better known as the, you know, a mule, which we see in the campaign for only one mission even though originally they were supposed to be in three missions total. We would also see for the first time daily and weekly challenges. I remember my my hardcore Halo Reach day every Monday logging on and seeing what that weekly challenge was and then being like, how the hell am I going to tackle this? So we also had more AIs in the campaign. So now we have up to 60 in combat with either 40 on the ground and 20 in vehicles. And this is the first Halo game that would introduce mocap. So Halo Reach would be the first one using mocap for its cutscenes, giving the characters realistic and fluent motions. Bungie had their own in-house mocap prop builder, Troy McFarland. One notable thing they did when it came to building the assault rifle for the mocap prop was using the original Nintendo Entertainment System Zapper as the handle. And George's gun prop was actually a stripped-down weed whacker. Now, if you ever notice as well something new, when you play the game and you have some friendly AIs, they are or friendly NPCs, they have names attached to them. And these were all names based off of Bungie employees. Some other new things that were introduced were a service record, an active roster. We had night vision now instead of just a flashlight. And then, of course, we had a forklift. And various other vehicles that you yeah, can drive. But that's the most important one is the forklift, of course. Yes, you do get a you do get a, a achievement for that. Yes, <laughs> and then so another thing is music and the cutscenes are slightly different every time they play, which I never knew that until you know I read that Martin O'Donnell wanted that to happen. And finally, I think this is the most important things that was introduced into the game that we would see in game is Doctor Halsey. We finally get a put a face. We finally get to put the face to the woman herself. Mm-hmm. So going on about armor customizations, mm -hmm. uh, which is one thing that we've kind of always grasped at. Halo 3 gave us a bit of it. This gives us just a bit more because Halo Reach's new armor customization would allow players to customize their helmet, shoulder pads, if you want to call them shoulder pads, mm. forearm, knee pads, chest, armor effect, and more. The colors would remain mostly the same from Halo 3 to Reach, kind of in that same rainbow mm -hmm. of colors that you could pick from. Yeah. But you can customize each piece so much more uniquely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Certain armor pieces would be obtainable by ranking up and purchasing with credits, but others would require players to download the Waypoint app to unlock certain pieces of armor. There are 5,632 different armor sets one can make in the game. Yep, and I always stick with ODST, so I, I never knew much about all the other variations. So now let's move on to marketing. So when it came to the marketing, Taylor Smith, who is the Director of Global Marketing Communications for Xbox, had this to say. We're trying to get people to connect back to their lives, not computer graphics or something overly sci-fi. Live action is a way to capture that, and they did just that. Microsoft would up their marketing budget for Halo Reach by 60% from Halo 3's budget, spending over $10 million on the marketing. In fact, this was the biggest marketing push from Microsoft at the time, so, so nothing else came close to this. 
Microsoft would once again partner up with PepsiCo, allowing fans to enter giveaways once they purchased a limited edition Mountain Dew bottle or can, and they made about $300 million of those total, along with limited edition Dorito bags, about, again, $300 million total. Microsoft would also send out copies of Halo 3 ODST to certain recipients, and these would also come with a pair of oyster hair clippers that would have welcome to nobleteam.com embedded in them, which I found so interesting. But I can't, I tried to look up if these things, like if you could buy these, and I think there were a very limited number. Yeah, I think it's just like kind of a, a goofy cross promo mm-hmm. to be like, hey, shave your head, you're jumping into the core. <laughs> so now let's talk about, you know, other, you know, specific things that they've done to market the game. So at E3 2009, Bungie would announce for the first time Halo Reach, informing players that they could get an invite to the beta with a copy of Halo 3 ODST. Now, the 2009 Video Game Awards would be the first time that we would get a real Reach world premiere. This would show the cutscene from the very beginning of the game, though the beginning dialogue and what was shown would slightly change in the final end product. Then we have E3 2010. Now, during this event, fans would get their first glimpse into the campaign in the new Firefight mode. Bungie would also debut to players the new Firefight modes itself, Spartan customization, the new Forge World, and the the Halo Reach edition of the Xbox 360. But most important, they also debuted the drivable forklift. Mm-hmm. We also had the birth of a Spartan, which was the live-action trailer that showed Carter preparing for his augmentation for the Spartan 3 project and ending with him seeing his new armor. This trailer premiered April 27th, 2010 on 16 channels in the U.S. and in the U.K., including British Sky Sports 2, ABC, Comedy Central, Spike TV, and TNT. It would also play in the trailers before Iron Man 2 in theaters. Good idea. Xbox Live Gold members would also get an extended cut of the trailer for paying that those Buku $5 a month bucks. <laughs> the actor who played Carter in this trailer admitted he touched Carter's armor constantly, but never got to wear it. How disappointing is that? Well, it's also kind of creepy. <laughs> he also had stated that he has only played Halo 3 ODST and Halo Reach, but no other Halo games. Oh. Yeah, it sucks. He's only played the bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have Deliver Hope. This trailer shows the fate of Noble Team's previous Noble 6 along with what happened to Cat's arm all shortly before the start of Halo Reach. This would be the first time we see live-action Spartans and Elite, so really good idea to kind of test it out, mm-hmm. see how stuff's going. Legacy Effects, which has done films such as Avatar and Iron Man 2, was tasked with creating the Spartan armor and Elites for this trailer. They constructed the armor and Elites from Bungie's Halo Reach files. The mandibles on the Elites were even motorized, allowing them to move, and Method Studios would take over the post-production for all the CGI in it. The trailer was created in three and a half months total, including pre- and post-production, which is incredibly fast. Yeah. And, I mean, it's a great trailer, and I never knew that the elites you see in the background were costumes. I thought it was computer... Yeah, so it was, like, CG with it. Yeah, and so seeing that, like, they were working on, like, oh, the mandibles actually move. I was like, holy crap. So now let's talk about a trailer that wasn't as popular and I didn't even know exist until I researched this, which was the day before. This was a collection of shorts showing daily life on Reach the day before the Covenant invasion. These stories were revolved around a couple debating on leaving the planet, a mother saying goodbye to her son for a short business trip, and the soldiers who investigated the down relay hub which we find at the beginning of the campaign. Mm -hmm. The trailer ends with the line appearing on the screen, Remember when there was a tomorrow. 
Now, we also had Welcome to Noble Team. This website was created to host all the live-action trailers, along with giving users the ability to upload a photo of themselves to see how they'd look as a Spartan 3. Like you, but with armor, I'm mm-hmm. assuming. Now, the website did require users to download Microsoft Silverlight, which I think is like an Adobe Flash player. Very similar. It just kind of gets downloaded in the background now. And yeah. It's just kind of there. Which is something that is still going on, but I can't think of, like, other than very minor things I researched. It's not that popular. It's like a failed thing they tried. It's just kind of something that also you just have on your computer that yeah. will help run some stuff. Yeah. So then we had Remember Reach, and this website would allow users to help build a monument made from light honoring Noble Team. The robot building the monument was a KUKA KR140. Users would have to log into Facebook and access the website and then plot a point and watch the robot place it. The plot point placed will then show the user who placed it. The robot placing the points of the light on the website was actually filmed in real time doing this. What you see on the website is the actual Mm -hmm. robot plotting the point. So it was creating a light statue of Noble Team. So the monument requires 54,439 plot points, which is, you know, divided by 7,777. So Microsoft planned on more users wanting to help create the monument, so the plot points will fade away and require old or new users to replace those lost points. Very cool. Next, we have Roosty's Fail of the Week. Uh, so Roosty's been doing these Fails of the Week where they will go in, they'll get some user-generated content mm-hmm. that's either like crazy glitches, bad stuff that's happened for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so with this, Bungie and Rooster Teeth partnered together to create Fails of the Week, which they had available on the Halo Waypoint app. You also had Flag, which was Fight Like a Girl. In winter of 2011, Bungie would hold a tournament via Xbox Live to help raise money for breast cancer awareness and research. Then you also had the pre-order. And when players pre-ordered their copy of Halo Reach at GameStop, it would include the recon helmet with visor, blast shield, and the UA multi-threat Mjolnir Mark 5B armor. You know, the, the good old UAMTMMVB armor. <laughs> Can you also imagine people in Halo 3 working their ass off for that recon armor? Now it's like, eh, pre-order the game, whatever. There you go. Yeah, or you could just not worry about it. Uh, but GameStop, Amazon, and Walmart would also include a $20 gift card for the store. Mm-hmm. So then we had the Times Square launch party. So Microsoft would hold a launch party at the Best Buy Theater in Times Square, New York City. Some fans waited in line for over two days to get their hands on the game at launch. We also had Rob Deerdeck's Fantasy Factory launch party, something I didn't know about. So Microsoft would additionally hold a launch party at Rob Deerdeck's Fantasy Factory in Los Angeles, California on September 8th, 2010. This event would see the face of many celebrities excited to get their hands on Halo Reach. Celebrities like Michelle Rodriguez, the Jabberwockies, B.O.B., Drama, Adrena Patridge, Felicia Day, Sarah Hyland, Tinsel Corey, Aisha Taylor, Chanel West Coast, Kevin Pereira, Michael B. Jordan, and Justin Bieber, along with many more. Which I found it kind of funny that I, apparently when Justin Bieber was there, like there were like a bunch of rooms and they were just like, no one can be in the room with Justin Bieber. Like he made everyone <laughs> leave when he was in there. So yeah, as I said, there was there were multiple Xbox 360 stations available there to play multiplayer and firefight. And Bob even performed at the launch party itself. And then we have the Seattle launch party. So we're just having launch parties all over. It's just parties, <laughs> popping some cocktails, playing some games. Of course, of course. And, and on it's, se- it's your favorite museum. It name. is. I love it because here's the thing. Let me tell you. On September 13th, 2010. 
counting down to the release of the game, fans would attend the launch event at the longest name for museum ever, the Music Project, Slashy, Science Fiction Museum, and Hall of Fame in Seattle to meet Bungie developers. That's the new name of the entire museum. They actually changed it to fit that. No, so, so they met here to meet with a bunch of devs, to enter to win prizes, and play Halo Reach. Mm-hmm. Finally, we have the Halo Reach Boot Camp. And the Halo Reach Boot Camp is a five-part series that debuted the day after Halo Reach's release. The first issue was released on September 14th, 2010, and the fifth and final issue was released February 23rd, 2011. Now, we've had some people ask, are we going to cover this comic book series? Uh, It's just a retelling of The Fall of Reach, but it's a comic, and they changed up some things with, like, what armor was available at the time. So probably not, you know? Uh, I mean, we'll have it available in bonus for some stuff that we do. Mm -hmm. So if, if fans vote on it, great. And honestly, we can talk about the art, but mm. once again, like you said, it's kind of just going back through. Yeah, I mean, it, Bungie and 343 have kind of really beaten the dead horse that is the Reach story, mm-hmm. so this was just another way to do it. So now let's talk about Waypoint integrations. So Halo Waypoint was a new app developed by 343 Industries and Certain Affinity, available to download for free on the Xbox 360 Marketplace. This app was both a place to watch updates on Reach's development, check your Spartan stats, view lore videos, developer interviews, and much more. It was released on November 5th, 2009, but support for the app has since stopped. It's still available if you have downloaded it on your old 360, mm-hmm. but it, you know, it's been since replaced with the Halo channel. Now, if one were to download and use the Halo Waypoint app on their 360, they could unlock items for their avatar along with items for their Spartan on Reach, as we talked about. So the the armor pieces that are available are the military police base, military police variants. We also have the close quarter combat base along with two variants for that. And then we have the UA base security. So now, you know, with talking about, you know, the very minimal waypoint integrations that they had, though they were cool, let's talk about kind of the three things that you can look for throughout the campaign. You know, we've had some terminals, we have some audio logs, but there are three things this time, but we will be focusing on data pads for those hashtag detailed walkthroughs. Mm-hmm. So we do have the data pads. So 19 total data pads are available throughout the Halo Reach campaign. So data pad one through nine are available on any difficulty. Well, data pad 10 through 19 are only available on Legendary, so I myself have never seen them. So the data pads are transcripts from meetings of the Assembly, a passive group of human AIs who've watched over humanity and ultimately worked for its survival. And that's a whole thing we could probably cover on a bonus episode. It's really crazy and interesting, and all we know is only available in those data pads, Mm -hmm. and that's it. So we also have radio conversations. Throughout the multiplayer and firefight maps, there are radios broadcasting conversations going on throughout Reach during the invasion. And then we have Bob. Bob is a special type of gold armor elite ranger that you can encounter throughout the campaign. Now, in the campaign mission sword base, Bobs will appear as elites with randomly generated white armor. So, you know, with that being said, we've talked about 343 moving in. We've talked about development, the beta, marketing, waypoint... Let's talk about the campaign finally. So the first mission starts with Noble Actual. Welcome to Reach. On July 24th, 2552, we meet Noble Six, who is also Spartan B312. He arrives on a UNSC outpost on Reach. And we see him, you know, he's looking at his helmet, turns it over, puts it on. And this is the first time that 
he meets Noble Team, and they're talking to Colonel Urban Holland, and he talked about how uh, the Visegrad relay on the planet, which is the primary communications hub, just went down. And so they think it might be insurrectionist, but it, overall it doesn't matter. They need Noble Team there. So this is the first time that Carter also interacts with Noble Six. He tells him, listen, I've seen your file, even the things I wasn't supposed to see. You're a lone wolf, and that's cool, but we are a team. So you got to leave all that stuff behind. And, of course, Noble Six is very short with words, so he just says, got it. And that's when June also says, welcome to Reach. That's when the game starts. Now, with a little bit of trivia, this level is one of only four levels in the entire Halo series in which there is no gameplay. The others being the Heretic in Halo 2 and the Prologue and Epilogue in Halo 4. So then now we have Winter Contingency. Yeah, and so, so to start the game off, officially, we've got Winter Contingency. There's a disturbance in the frontier. So as you're going down to what you think to deal with some insurrectionists on the planet. So yeah, you take these Falcons down the whole of Noble Team and you make your way through going across um, some giant chickens, as Jesse would say. <laughs> and you're, you're kind of exploring these rural rural farming community. You're mm-hmm. coming across some, some buildings, kind of seeing what's going on here. And they're, it seems on fire, yeah. Yeah, and it seems like there's a lot of desertion. So you're trying to figure out what's going on. And as you start to explore the area, you start to realize there's movement in a building. Mm-hmm. And when you get towards that building, you realize that it's a farm family kind of held up mm-hmm. after a while. Like, like you try to figure out this insurrectionist. And this is where George comes along. And the, the family in there is speaking like a Hungarian dialect. And George, from kind of lore and his build, is, is supposed to be kind of Hungarian. He understands the language and can communicate and just says, hey, they're farmers. They're hiding. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to say, oh, hiding from the insurrectionist? Hiding from what? And I think along this time, too, you're starting to notice burns and a couple of the things that you're like, this isn't, yeah, this it, doesn't it, seem to be it's insurrectionist. It's like a, a, a post-skirmish that just happened. Mm-hmm. And, the, and even with that farmer, he said something took his son in the night, so they didn't know what. So it, nothing's really lining up at this point. Like, this doesn't sound like insurrection stuff to me. Yeah. And so as you make your way across more chickens and you get engaged by the Covenant, kind of going mm-hmm. over this like little rivery bed area. Once you take that out, you continue on. You make your way into some flatbed trucks, basically. George uh, mounts up on that? Yeah, so George will mount up, and you can actually have basically like a mounted turret. And you're making your way through trying to figure out, you know, get into this relay. Mm-hmm. Trying to get this relay turned back on and get the communications going again. And you keep seeing all these different little skirmish areas. You eventually make your way into an area where you have some Marines held out, mm-hmm. help out with them. And keep engaging the ground forces. So after you, you've you've saved these guys, you've, you've helped out this area, you eventually load up back onto Falcons because you've getting word that you need to go over to the actual relay itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cat and Emil are held down there. Mm-hmm. So you land in a super hot LZ, grunts and jackals and elites kind of all around, mm-hmm. and you make your way into the entrance area of it. But you realize that there has to be, like, a time for this door to close. Yeah, Kat's been working on it. Yeah, she's been kind of working and hacking this door to get it closed to get this next one open to enter the relay. So it's it's the first introduction to, I guess, firefight in the game almost. Because mm-hmm. you're basically waiting there to eliminate the waves. Once you eliminate enough waves, she's like, all right, everybody get in. The door mm-hmm. will close. Um, this is also the first part, I believe, you can now drive a forklift. Yeah, so... And I, and I believe, is it... I think it's the achievement... I may be wrong when we get to it, but isn't the achievement to get a splatter here? I, I think so. I don't think I've ever gotten that achievement, now that I think about it, because I always try to splatter, even like a grunt, and they move, because that forklift is kind of worthless. 
but oh, it's cool to drive. Mm, it's fantastic. I've gone the whole entire game with it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so, so you, once you get through there, you make your way into the relay station where you get another cutscene mm-hmm. because this mission sucks and I hate it. And there's 14 cutscenes and it confuses <laughs> the hell out of me. So you get this cutscene of kind of exploring the interior of it, trying to make connections again with Colonel Holland, and you discover. Uh, this dead scientist that's there. Mm-hmm. And in the corner, you see George kind of pull this girl out, mm-hmm. um, Hungarian as well, trying mm-hmm. to trying to like calm her down. But as it starts to happen, you have these elite zealots that come out of camo. And then they take the Marine that was apparently with you. Yeah, it was always confusing because I always thought it was like the girl, but she's just screaming in the background. But they take they take the girl or they take that Marine and like he's trying to like hold on to the door and then it doesn't work. Yeah, and, and it's a goofy little cartoony scene in my opinion <laughs> so I take him and so they're like all right you and george go through there mm-hmm. go deal with this we're going to kind of deal with what we have here and go around and this is where we see that cool scene like george like shuts the door behind him otherwise i always got chills watching that scene i was like that's so cool yeah he got the really cool scene of closing the door okay okay <laughs> and uh this is where you get another forklift so that's, I, i'm honestly just gonna talk about forklifts at this point um <laughs> this is where you can get another forklift i believe there's also another achievement for this mission of not ever stepping foot in any vehicle period Ooh, wasn't there one for halo 3 like that uh let's do a run without any vehicles oh, on okay. one, of the, one of the long um routes but yeah this is from the beginning too so like you can't jump into the pickup truck you can't jump into any of the vehicles that are with you it's all foot based Mm -hmm. for a big ass long level it's an annoying boring achievement (laughs) but you can get it so after you successfully kind of secure this you go through you keep killing these elites you make your way through and you've successfully secured the relay Mm -hmm. this is where you you contact back to colonel holland Leading to the declaration of the planetary emergency directive winter contingency. That's when, Col- or that's when Colonel Holland said, "God help us all." Mm-hmm. Which I always, I it's just like that kind of sets the mood for the rest of the game because I know like we're in trouble here, right? Boring. Yeah, God save us all. <laughs> we gotta sit through this. So some trivia for you. As I said before, the language spoken by civilians is Hungarian, as we know that kind of through George and little tidbits with him. Mm-hmm. When the daughter says Yikvanak to George, it means they're still here right before the zealots appear. Mm-hmm. Originally, Cat would laugh when a player would kill a Moa due to a bug. Mm, due to a bug. Well, it's because it was still technically registered as an enemy also, at the time. Due to a bug that you laugh <laughs> at killing the ostriches slash giant chickens. <laughs> this is the first time we see Moas and also we see skirmishers. Because mm-hmm. um, we have skirmishers kind of littered throughout, whether it's within some firefights or kind of just randomly on little patrols. Mm-hmm. The assault rifle starts with 600 rounds, so it's a nod to combat evolved. And on legendary, at the beginning of the level... When Noble Team finds the tracker, the player can kill a cloaked spec ops elite carrying a data pad. So that's our first hashtag mm-hmm. legendary detailed walkthrough. Yeah. And your second hashtag DTWWK. You, you mind explaining that? No, no, no. I'm not going to. <laughs> okay. When you get in, into the truck, drive northwest, you'll find the data pad in the buildings. Mm-hmm. Or if you're doing an achievement at the same time and you're on legendary, don't get in that truck. Okay, let's yeah. still go northwest. Two birds, my friend. Two birds. Mm-hmm. So now let's move on to the next mission, Oni Sword Base. Covenant are attacking a vital Oni base. Drive the bastards off. So this is two days after the mission we were just on. Now we have Noble Team are going to Oni Base near this ice shelf, and they're going to fight off the Covenant. And I think this might be the first time we hear from their their AI who is anti-Dot. 
And it we start to see more of that perspective of sword based under attack through like cameras and whatnot. And I think something really cool, like that firefight that we see isn't scripted. That's actually just every time you play it, that's the AIs mm-hmm. doing their own thing. So you have to go in and clear out the initial area outside of the Oni sword base, and then you have to move on outside of it. And this is one of those those quote-unquote pipe missions where after you use the target locator to take out some wraiths, you have to bring back a communication station, and there is also an anti-air battery that you have to reactivate. So both of these things, you can do either one first. So I always thought that was really cool. Yeah, it's it's like a left or right. Yeah, basically, yeah, literally, you go left or right. So after you activate both of those things, because, you know, it's there's not really much to explain there. You go there, kill the enemies, activate them, wash, rinse, repeat. That's when we move on back to sword base, which, you know, what you just did essentially was all for nothing, because now it's once again under attack. And this is becomes more of a... a uh, vehicle level because at this point I think this is the first time we're seeing revenants that come into play mm-hmm. so we're fighting off all of those you also get the rocket hog for the first time so after you take all of those out you make your way back into noble or back into sword base itself which I always think this is interesting because it's now the second time we're seeing an, an ONI facility or ONI facility first time we ever saw that was in Halo 3 ODST so once you make your way inside of there, now you have to make your way up and help Emil fend off the rest of these banshees outside of the base itself. And also around this time, when you get in there, this is where we see the multiplayer map, Sword Base. So after taking out more elites, you make your way up there, you arm yourself with a rocket launcher, and you help Emil take out the rest of those banshees. Mm-hmm. So once all of those are clear... These long swords can come in and take out the corvette that's right outside of sword base, and it goes down. And this is where we kind of get, you know, we see George start really warming up to Noble Six after this once it happens, because, you know, he tells him, nice work, by the way, and Noble Six says, you know, I am to please. So we start to see that he's really starting to be proud of what Noble Six is doing, and we see that evolve more and more throughout the campaign. So, So at that point, that's when... They get a message that Halsey wants to talk to them. And so it's never outright stated in the campaign that George is a Spartan 2. In case we haven't covered that yet, he is a Spartan 2. He's the only Spartan 2. Yeah, as you said, you know, he is the only Spartan 2 on Noble Team. And so he said he's known her all his life. Mm -hmm. So they go into this room where she's like sealed off from the rest of them. I always found it like really odd and confusing, but... She's talking to them and trying to figure out what were the what were the zealot class elites doing uh, there at the relay station. And something that I th- I think we might not have covered is that whenever the sci- the dead scientist was found, Noble Six found something like some kind of little I don't know futuristic USB data, drive. Yeah, yeah, data chip. Yeah, and so apparently Cat tried to access that, and Halsey was like, eh, not your domain, you can't have it, give it back to me. And so that's when she starts to almost flex her, what power she thinks she has, and she's like, you know, you can get, you know, court-martialed for that or whatever, and that's when also Carter comes back to her and says, like, listen, you're interfering with our mission as well. Like, civilians aren't allowed to do that, because remember, 
Halsey is has never been military personnel. She's always mm-hmm. been a civilian. So they kind of have this odd standoff. And so then they just move about their business. And again, this is the first time we see Halsey visually. So I always thought it was like really crazy and really cool because I wasn't too terribly familiar with the lore at the time of playing this. But seeing her, I was like, this is awesome. So moving on to some trivia about this mission, the Corvette in the sky at the very end isn't art in the sandbox, but it was a real Corvette that was created to scale. So, you know, once you're inside sword base, the player can find several Ungoy heavies wielding plasma rifles for the first time and in game as starting weapons. Players are able to switch weapons with grunts in Halo 2 and give them plasma rifles, but we've never seen them spawn with them. So the Reach Racer Easter Egg allows two players or more to participate in a race around the play area of the level using the Goss Warthogs. At the end of the race, there will be a door to Sword Base. Upon reaching that area, the losing Warthog will explode and the losing players will respawn at the destination. So life or death, kids. Mm -hmm. Gotta work on that. So then let's talk about... Our hashtag legendary walkthrough. In the village area, the data pad can be found on the rock formation behind a building. And then on any difficulty, or what did you call it earlier? I have hashtag, no idea. <laughs> hashtag something. In the Oni building, the data pad can be found in the fourth floor hallway. And one other bit with this, this is the first mission that we're going to see the target locator. Mm-hmm. And so one of the mission-specific achievements for this is to kill two vehicles with one target locator which you can do pretty easily once you first encounter those wraiths. Yeah, they, they get right next to each other. Yeah, they get right ne- or you can even do it on some of the smaller vehicles. So as mm-hmm. long as you do that within the mission, you'll go ahead and get that achievement. Yeah, that brings us on to our next mission. Next, we have Nightfall. Move in behind enemy lines and evaluate the opposition. So this is a garbage, super garbage map of quote-unquote stealth. And, of course, the first time you fire anything, there's no more stealth. <laughs> so Halo's a great stealth game. It was definitely uh, presented as a stealth mission that very quickly was not a stealth mission. I think Halo 3 or Halo 2 had one as well where, like, you had snipers on a ridge and had to go through. And first first or second shot fired, you're not. <laughs> but this is based two and a half weeks after the last mission we just had. Mm-hmm. And so Noble Six and June are sent to perform this, you know, nighttime spy reconnaissance mm-hmm. mission. They gotta be quiet with those sniper and rifles. I, I love that these are always reconnaissance missions when they're obviously not reconning. They're there to murder everything. <laughs> Thanks, Halo. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but it's to, it's to like figure out what this Covenant Dark Zone is in the very territories. Mm-hmm. And so after you have gone through like these multiple outposts of very, very similar, like if you take the first kind of huts you saw on Reach, mm-hmm. but blow them up a bit bigger and add some waterworks to them. Yeah. That's what you look like on this right now. And so there's multiple outposts you go through of just various elites, skirmishers, jackals, and grunts around. And once you go through, I think it's two or three of them. Yeah, like those little sections. Yeah. yeah. You eventually meet up with some civilian militia. Which were my favorite people in the game. Yeah, which I think it's offhand they are insurrectionists. You know, yeah. it's like kind of suspected. Well, because like, they, they, they ask, I think it's June asked at one point, he's like, so where did you get the supplies from? He's like, yeah. I mean, you know, we got them. Yeah, because they have a bunch of hidden weapon caches and stuff. And it's one of those things where it's like, not the time or place, so they just have to move on. Exactly. It. So so you, you fight together with them, and that's when they mm-hmm. show you like their whole cache of everything. And they're like, 
you know, I should I should really report you for this, but uh, we'll just hush hush it for now. Yeah, he's like, what are you going to do, arrest me? And he's like, no, I'm going to steal it back. Yeah, exactly. Essentially. It's pretty great. And so they guide you like up to this hydro plant that's further into this quote-unquote dark zone that they have mm-hmm. where they discover a stealth pylon. Mm-hmm. And so what you go ahead and do is you set these explosives on it. Oh, and to, to take it back a little bit, because this is such a great mission... Um, with all the stealth and everything going on, <laughs> you then fight dinosaurs. Yeah, the Guta or the mules. Um, it, there's no reason for them. They're a knockoff like character of every horror film. I think of uh, there's a specific. Have, did you ever see Small Soldiers? Tommy yeah. Lee Jones voice oh, that guy. Yeah. It reminds me of one of the the whatever they called them, the mutants or whatever. It reminded me of one of those guys, like the tusks and whatnot. There's yeah. my obscure reference. Yeah, it's 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 a really. It's a character that if they put more effort and work into putting it places, it would mm-hmm. make more sense. Mm-hmm. But right now you're like, what is this weird new covenant I'm fighting? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, I never fight that ever again. And it's fighting the grunts, and it took three bullets to kill. Yeah. That was fun. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so, so you see them, and after you you know exit all of this area, you go with June, and you start to plant those explosives. Because mm-hmm. you're pretty much going to go ahead... And bring down that stealth pylon that you found, mm-hmm. get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. You know how it yeah. is. Yeah, but that, that's when Kat says, no, 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 we have a plan for this. And this is also the powerhouse map, even though it's like one of those things like you really don't go into the map itself. You mm-hmm. are on the very edge. But yeah, so that's when they, they also like take out some hunters and whatnot and then move on. And that's, uh, that's, that's the start of your mission to, to get ready for the attacks the next day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because essentially they, it's like one of those things. It, it is kind of reminiscent of Truth and Reconciliation where you then just have to move through a few more waves of like turrets mm-hmm. and you find yourself at the end of this cave. And then it goes stealth again because all of a sudden Noble Six and Emil get down and crawl and they see this whole Covenant army on the planet Reach that they couldn't see because it was a dark zone, essentially. Yeah, yeah, because once they took the pylon out that's kind of blocking the signal, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, look at all these red dots we now see. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. So some trivia for this. It's the only level in any of the games to feature the Colonial Militia mm-hmm. or the Insurrectionists, either way. Mm-hmm. It's the only characters I enjoy. From this mission, there needs to be an insurrectionist game. I've already said that a thousand times, but you have that. I do agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, players could kill the militiamen without dying due to the fact that they are carrying guns. Yeah, if if you kill civilians at all in Halo Reach, you die instantly. Mm-hmm. So don't do that unless it's militia, I guess, because they're insurrectionists. Well, it basically just becomes kind of like a marine. You can just shoot them because mm. you're cold. <laughs> this is, um, you know, rip to this. It's the last level featuring the Moas. Mm-hmm. Yep. So no more chickens for Jesse. <laughs> uh, the sniper rifle given to Noble Six at the start of the mission has more ammunition capacity than normal because they go hey you're on a stealth mission you don't need to shoot stuff here's a lot of bullets <laughs> also akin to, to ce's truth and reconciliation mm-hmm. and the dreaming grunt can be found on this level and that's your hashtag easter egg walkthrough <laughs> and now for hashtag legendary walkthrough you can find the data pad by a bridge near the riverbed so if you go to where kind of that bridge is by, you know, that river bread, you know, the river bread. Actually, find where the river bread is (laughs) and it'll be right around there. Where do they get the yeast for that? It flows down it. Oh my God. Um, And then for any of the difficulties to the right of the canyon, the data pad will be on the ground. So bread, legendary, uh, crayons, any difficulty. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just derailing this entire podcast. Here we go, guys. We're almost there. Oh, we love it. All right. Now we have the next mission. Tip of the spear. So two massive armies clash. Time to go to war against the Covenant. As if that 
wasn't what we've been doing the whole time. So in the morning of August 12th, 2552, we have this this grand cutscene where we have all these vehicles, both Covenant and UNSC, that are getting ready to start coming towards each other, which I will say the end result of this was disappointing because I thought this was going to be like this massive battle, but you get separated from it because mm-hmm. the second that like right before that's all about to go down, that's when Kat activates those bombs or put on that pylon and actually destroys it. I don't know why she waited. Whatever. Traumatic effect. Traumatic effect. So that's when a fight ensues, but Noble Six and Cat, because she's driving the Warthog, gets separated, and they end up flipping it over a destroyed bridge. We also hear the Wilhelm scream here, I believe, at least if you're on the normal difficulty. And that's when you get up and you start making your way towards these other anti-air guns, because that's your mission now. So this is also the first time we're introduced to that grenade launcher, which Mm -hmm. can be kind of useless sometimes. But I don't know. As I said uh, yesterday, a good carpenter never blames his tools. So Mm -hmm. maybe I'm just horrible with it. Yeah. So you have two different sequences where you have to make your way to these AA guns and take them out. So it's it's a wash, rinse, repeat thing. But along that way, you're getting the uh, rocket hog. You're working with other Marines to do it. And it it can be like a little tedious with, you know, there's also wraiths around those areas and specters and all that. But it's still really, really fun. So eventually, once you take both of those out, that's when George comes and he picks you up on a Falcon. So after George picks you up, you now are on a Falcon that has just like unlimited grenade launchers and you can go through and basically it's a, it's a rail rail section of the mission while you're in this Falcon and you can just destroy everything in sight. There's buildings that you can destroy and you see a bunch of wraiths and all other kind of covenant vehicles and covenant enemies. So as you're going, you see this this Covenant Spire, and it's got this shield around it. And so the pilot's kind of like, I don't think we should go in there. And George is like, oh, no, we need to go in there. So as they go into the Spire shield, all of a sudden the, the Falcon just stops working. And so George Noble Six and the pilot are all going down, and that's when George says, lock your armor. They hit the ground, but unfortunately, the pilot does not make it, and they have to move on. And this is where we're first introduced to that multiplayer map. That name escapes me, but we'll talk about it once we cover multiplayer maps. But then now you have to make your way into this spire and deactivate it. So it's a really cool mission because you have to make your way onto the platform and then make your way into this grav lift that takes you all the way up, and then that's when we meet, I think it's a general class elite there for the first time, along with some grunts with some fuel rod cannons. But once you take all those baddies out, you deactivate it, and you get this pretty cool cutscene where Noble Six has to jump off the spire, and that's when George catches you, pulls you in to the Falcon, and Carter's there too, I guess he just... And Carter's there, you know. Yeah, I love that also George is in a Falcon, too. They never explained how those two got in that Falcon in the first place. Whatever. They found a new one. I digress. And so all of a sudden we see this UNSC frigate come in and take out that Spire with a Mac blast. And it's kind of like this cool triumphant thing. It's like we're using Mac rounds in atmosphere because we're going to show them we mean business. 2.5 seconds later, I don't know how accurate that is, a giant... Covenant carrier takes out that frigate Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they realize, oh, that spire was cloaking that. I sure I don't know. There are there are some red flags with this campaign as much as I do love it. But 
And so all of a sudden they're like, uh, we need to get out of here because now we have this giant carrier that's over the surface that we didn't know about previously, kind of raising the stakes of the invasion at that point and realizing like, oh, we are in trouble. Yeah. So now well, I'm going to go back a little bit. I'm going to go back. OK. If you want to do it the not noob Jesse way and you want to just skip fighting pretty much everything, mm-hmm. when you crash and spawn... Go to the right and follow that entire right wall and hug it. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you'll come to kind of this lattice construct of metal. Climb on top of that. It's like kind of like a pipe that's in it. And climb onto the pipe that's there. Walk all the way down and just jump off because you'll be right by the spire. You can just hit the grav lift and it just takes you right up. You could do that. Mm-hmm. You could do that too. I might do that for the 17th other time I'll play this campaign. And you can also use your jetpack once you're in there to get mm-hmm. above the spire tower and just snipe everything below that can't see you when you're in the tower. That is also true. Some fun cheesy ways that so, I've now learned through Rooster Teeth. <laughs> Thank you, Rooster Teeth. So let's talk about some trivia. So when Cat destroys the Covenant Pylon at the very beginning of this mission, she was originally supposed to say, it's time to bake that cake we made last night. Wow. I I think I'm glad they decided to cut that out. So then this is the first map that we have with jetpacks, and it's the first mission that we have with drones. Mm -hmm. Now, the music track that plays when the player travels to the first tyrant is not present in the Halo Reach original soundtrack. So there's some things that, like, they'll, we'll pick up here and there. We're like, that's not in the soundtrack at all, because there was, spoiler, five hours of music written for this. So the famous Wilhelm scream is featured in the opening cinematic of the normal difficulty, though the screams of that falling trooper vary on each difficulty. So I don't know what the others sound like, and I never will. So now let's talk about our legendary walkthrough. The data pad can be found on the overpass by the second anti-air gun. I've actually tried that a million times. I've never been able to get it. So then on any difficulty, after you kill the elite zealot, drop down a few levels in the building and the data pad will be on a shelf right there for you. Yeah. And so to give you guys an idea on that elite zealot, so he is also an achievement because he pops up and he, he can actually just leave. Mm, yeah. like that. It's like a side quest that's not really a side quest. It's like, do I want to hear this dialogue? Mm-hmm. Then I should kill this zealot. Exactly. So so this is a portion with Cat that, like I said, once we've been going through kind of dismantling that spire and going through various other kind of frameworks around the area, mm-hmm. you know, that that's a portion of it. Anyway, the Bob on this level, to give you uh, some Bob trivia. Bob trivia. Some Bob I facts. love Bob facts. He is, you can just avoid him completely, mm-hmm. which is right at the end where you're climbing that giant grav lift. Uh, he's on the left side and he has a fuel rod cannon. Uh, just chilling, waiting for you. Yeah, and, and if you guys don't know, bobs are very difficult to kill, even just regular difficulties, because they have much, much higher health and shields. So. Yeah, and, and if you don't kill them within a certain time, or if you achieve further progress, they vanish. They, yeah, they literally will just vanish. It's not like they run away, they just vanish. And mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, okay, huh, okay. So now we have our next mission. Our next mission up is Long Night of Solace. Move up the beach and secure the launch facility, Take the battle to the Covenant Super Carrier. This is, I think, you've said publicly multiple times, your favorite mission with the space battles. Yeah, this is the best. <laughs> this is a Star Fox knockoff. <laughs> so anyway, it starts off with a cutscene with all of Noble Team contemplating how they're going to destroy the Super Carrier like, while they're within this cave, kind mm-hmm. of drawing stuff around. I don't know why they're in that cave. You've got a meal just licking his knife. <laughs> and like, I think George has a suitcase of... 
food. I don't know what he's got. And funny, funny gags too. He's, <laughs> he's he's also a magician and an entertainer. You're right. There we go. So we can we can put that on Halopedia and fandom. <laughs> yeah. So Cat somehow is like, oh, you know what we'll do? We'll shaw Fujikawa the middle of this ship and just slip space it. Because mm-hmm. yeah. that works. And, and she also knows that Noble Six was part of the, the Sabre program, mm-hmm. which apparently is publicly, you know, not a thing. They've had colonels say like three times, like, Sabre program isn't a thing, worry about it. But they're like, we know it's a thing. We got a guy. Yeah, and so... They somehow get this plot point that Noble Six knows how to fly. So Noble Six, which is you, is now going to have to Me? pilot this. It's you. Oh my it, is, it is you. You are the one who dies at the end. So Spoilers. Which we've already talked about. <laughs> um, so anyway, so, so the mission is we're going to go to the Saber. We're going to launch up to this the space station that's up there. Mm-hmm. Kind of uh, equip this Pelican with that Shaw Fujikawa. Fly it to the carrier, put it there, clear some stuff out, and detonate it remotely mm-hmm. somehow. We'll figure that out. You know, it's kind of like a plan that you're figuring out as you go. You shoot from the hip. You're yeah. Spartan. You always shoot from the hip. <clears throat> yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So they contact uh, Holland, and Holland approves the plan. He's like, sure, you get in a spaceship, yeah. do your thing. Well, I love that even Carter is just like, nah, he's not going to go for this. And Kat's like, well, you have to ask him. So, yeah. and, they, and they kind of do explain Kat and Carter's relationship a little bit here because June and George kind of debate, like, who's going to win this fight? And George says, she always wins. Mm-hmm. So you make your way uh, up to the sword base. You're basically fighting your way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of getting overrun. So you're kind of making, to me, it was always that mission that seemed very rushed. Mm-hmm. You're like, there's Covenant all around. There's elites in this hallway yeah. when I get in there. And it did have like a, a, a saving private Ryan feel a feel because you are invading this beach area. I mm-hmm. thought it was kind of cool, but I think more work could have been put into that initial getting into the Saber launch facility itself. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it was because it, it felt very similar to the last mission after you and Cat crash. Mm-hmm. It was just mm-hmm. kind of very similar vibes to that mm-hmm. feeling of it. And it kind of they, they all. Tangent real quick. They all kind of feel like that when you when you have a vehicle crash or when you start something. Mm-hmm. Like even you and George crashing was very reminiscent of when you and Kat had just crashed. Mm-hmm. Just with worse guns. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so so as you make your way out, you make your way through. Um, this is also another point where we get those really cool cams because you get loaded up into your saber. Mm-hmm. Um, you got like the cams kind of all around filming you kind of getting up. They're even on the window. Yeah. So and some GoPros around. And that's when also George gets in mm-hmm. as well. So that's a very heavy saver now. Yeah. So, so George is going to come along. He's like, I'll do bomb stuff. I'm a Spartan. <laughs> I'm a Spartan too. I'm a big boy. And you you fly up and it's, it's very reminiscent to like old school space launches. The whole like firing along with um, all of your engines and thrusters and your thrusters start to like tear off mm-hmm. and there's kind of cameras with that which is pretty cool uh, that is uh, there you, you can't deny the cinematic work they did for this was awesome yeah the cinematic's cool now unfortunately you get to the part where you have to control the ship so if you've ever played star fox here it is years later shoot stuff <laughs> it blows up oh no wave number two comes they're a little harder blow them up oh no wave three now they have bigger ships Blow them up. Now you're done. See, as a guy who doesn't do a lot of space combat video games, I I, I liked it enough. Neither do I, I. I avoid it at all costs. No, I'm saying it's I'm boring. Saying, I'm saying I liked this. Like I don't I don't do that many games, so I 
you know, I, I don't think this was terrible per se, but that's just me. That's just me. I just avoid all space combat because space combat's terrible. Anyway, <laughs> as as you play your game of of duck duck shoot out there, it is neat. It's much easier with multiple people, but you basically start with banshees. Mm-hmm. You get banshees and seraphs, and then you eventually get phantoms. Phantoms. A couple phantoms drop in. And as long as you just kill them all, you're pretty good. Your, mm-hmm. your shields recharge and your saber. Yeah. Because that makes sense. It can be a little tedious, though, like, because sometimes, because it is, like, there is technically no up or down, really, because you're in space. Like, you can, you know, level yourself out. But sometimes you find yourself, like, upside down and you don't realize it. It's it's odd sometimes. I know that. I know when I'm, <laughs> I have a compass. Um, no, no, no. So, so you, you do this battle. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting for what it is because it's the first time you ever get anything like that in Halo. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will say that as a thing they did that very well and once you defend it you then fly into a spaceport it's the middle spaceport I will let mm-hmm. you know that if you fly to the other two you will just crash into the space dock and you will die and have to restart at your checkpoint don't be a dummy go to the middle mm-hmm. as they all say and so, so once you get in there you then start to go over to the pelican see that's getting all crewed up mm-hmm. and then you take that in or, and then you, you help escort that yeah. over to the ship well, well, to just go back just a little bit, mm-hmm. I know it's usually your job, but I'm coming in this time. So this is where George leaves the saber, and he goes into that pelican, and we see that, like, sword base is basically just getting destroyed, and that's where Halsey is. And the the AI, you know, anti-dot, even makes a comment, like, your, your, heart, your heart rate's elevating and everything, and then she's like, there's nothing we can do down there. And he's like, I know. So we're starting to see this kind of cause and effect of everything that's happening and how it's affecting characters emotionally. So I thought that scene was, like, really important. But yeah, on to the escort mission. Yeah, so unfortunately, Halsey didn't die, but spoiler. Spoiler, jeez. Well, she's alive and she's annoying still, so... <laughs> Agreed? Yeah, now she has a cool arm. <laughs> or not so arm, some might say. <laughs> anyway, that's for a future episode. This is... This is... <laughs> this is Halo Salt. So yeah, so, so, so you get to go ahead and do some more space battle, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and you... Basically going after this carrier, and your mission is to take out the engines. Mm-hmm. The achievement here is if you're able to disable it within three minutes, that is your achievement. One thing you can do to make this space battle a bit easier is if you fly to the belly of the carrier, most of, I would say 90% of the banshees and other flying vehicles that are coming to kill you are actually just sitting there. Mm-hmm. You can actually just kill them all immediately. There you go. I did not know that. Actually. Yeah. So you, actually, you. so you guys just go down, destroy them all. It makes your life a thousand times easier because especially if you're legendary or last wing, you have to fight maybe three or four instead of like the 15 or 20. Mm-hmm. You can just decimate them all. Mm-hmm. Get you yeah. some good medals too. Uh, so, so yeah. So, so you've disabled the engines. Once the engine's disabled, you go ahead and with the rest of your team and these random Marines that are with you, you land the Pelican into the hangar bay. Mm-hmm. And this is a mission where you, you go in. And you come kind of back out the same way you went in. So it's kind of a re- like a retracing mission. I don't know if that's what you'd call it. Uh, so something of the sorts, yeah. Something of the sorts. Uh, but you make your way through various areas um, to make it to kind of the helm. Yeah. Um, and then once you're in there, that's when you fight two gold elites. One is a sword. One has... Is it a plasma cannon or is it a fuel rod? I think it's fuel rod. It's, it's like fuel a, rod. A, a general. Or no, he has the concussion rifle. Concussion rifle. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what it was. And so you're, you're dealing with them and this one you can kind of be stealth if you want because mm-hmm. at this point you've gotten swords, you've gotten some other things. And you still have the element of surprise in this room. I think you can pick, when you were on the launch facility you can pick up a shotgun too. Mm-hmm. Not as stealthy but yeah, who cares? You know, get yourself out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so as we're front, oh, and I meant, I meant to say this earlier, it's actually not the carrier we're in. We're in the Covenant uh, Corvette ardent prayer and we're actually the reason why we're going to that helm 
is to shift course to go towards that carrier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to take that slip space drive there to then blow everything up. Yeah, to then basically slip space into it, cause a huge rupture, mm-hmm. and take out both. Because that's all that they're seeing right now. That's the only mm-hmm. kind of major ships that they're seeing. So once you take these guys out, you kind of press the button to set the course. It's mm-hmm. now a race to get, well, race, leisurely stroll, whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. Back to the hangar bay where you entered. Yeah. yeah, and when you were making your way to that room to send the Corvette on a track, the UNSC Savannah that has been assisting you the whole time does get detonated out in the background. Mm-hmm. It does get destroyed, and you kind of see that all unfold, which is, again, the more tragic tones that are starting to be layered through on this campaign. Yeah, you're starting to see a lot more people, a lot more casualties this campaign than you have in a lot of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so as you're making your way back, it's kind of, like you said, the watchman's repeat of it. You go through... Mm-hmm. Same type of rooms, different enemy layouts, kind of mm-hmm. different different ways to play the same thing. So they did really well with that, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And as you make your way back to the actual hangar bay, that is where you meet back up with George and a couple other Marines that are there mm-hmm. um, with the Pelican. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have a firefight. And you have a firefight. A bit of trivia for you. If you want, you can just kind of cheese this mission a bit and go to the front of the Pelican. And the turret of the Pelican is actually operable. And you can choose to be the turret. And, I'm always the turret. Yeah. And so so you, you're invincible, and you can just kind of wipe out all the enemies around you mm-hmm. with that turret fire. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't this also the first mission in Halo Reach with Hergok in it? Because they're floating up and yep. providing shields for the rest of the Covenant. Um, Or were they in a previous no, mission? No, they were in the one where you go up the grav lift. There is a Hergok up top that is protecting the elites that are watching over... Um, huh, I missed that. Yeah, so there's, there's a, a big dumb. There's a Hergok up there with a couple, well, there's a couple of elites. Oh, okay, okay. Well, either way, something, there are, there are Hergoks in, yes, in so this. There are Hergoks um, and, within reach. And there are no options to be like, oh, don't kill them. You got to kill them or your life is going to be horrible in this game. Yeah, because they basically probably crazy overshields mm-hmm. uh, for everybody around. Mm-hmm. And also, you're not as cool as the rookie, so yeah. you just got to murder. No jazz in this game either. Nope. Uh, I, I, we didn't, you know, no jazz. So just let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So as you make your your, your cheeky murders in your turret um, and you, you clear it out, you're then good to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, you then figure out that the detonator for this bomb is damaged. And so George, being the cool guy that he is, he said, you know what? I'll stay back. Because mm-hmm. like like you said before, he's, he's seeing that Halsey might be dead. The rest of the team might be dead. Mm-hmm. He's like, this is my sacrifice. I'm going to make this for the war. Yeah. It's, it's his home planet. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I love this planet. I'm going to go down with the ship. Yeah. I, I, you know, if there's anyone to do this job, it's me. Mm-hmm. Um, so Big Dumb George stays behind. Mm-hmm. He's a giant tank. And of course, he's like, I'll sacrifice myself and not be a tank for you guys anymore. <laughs> p- not this p- Marine that we don't need that's going to die anyway. <laughs> so he stays there to detonate it. And it's also a pretty cool scene. So he gives Noble Six his dog tags mm-hmm. and just pushes him out. Yeah. Basically, I think he like picks him up and forces him. Like, yeah, I'm he, not he, like, giving he, you. He like a- basically like undertakers him. <laughs> and then just like throws him out the airlock because he he's basically saying I'm not giving you the option to do yeah. this. This is my call. Mm-hmm. So as you're flying away, this is another portion where we're really seeing a lot of the cams kind of on different ships and mm-hmm. wrecks that are kind of recording this. And it does it 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 takes the the course. It blows up the ship. Huzzah! He did it. Unfortunately, the saved. Wait, the planet's not. Yeah, unfortunately, like most of these moments um, that were kind of just cookie cutter. Hey, we did it. Oh, we didn't. We now have a whole Covenant fleet 
that's coming mm-hmm. out of slip space. Yeah, and it's like even the, it's like disrupting the cameras that are filming mm-hmm. it, and like you hear all these comms like of people freaking out, and it's just like everyone's like this is the, this is the biggest invasion force I've ever seen. Like, yeah, and, it, and it's it's pretty cool too because Noble Six has seen it as mm-hmm. he or she's kind of flying down back to the planet. Yeah, so it's like uh like realizing if they had waited literally a few minutes, George would have been alive. So it's like like one of those things. It's like ironic. In a horrible way. Mm-hmm. Well, alive for how long? Who knows? <laughs> uh, but to jump into some trivia for you, because we end that mission there. Sage Merrill, who had previously worked on Crimson Skies, which was a great game, was the man behind the space battles in this mission, which you can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, cause, you ever played Crimson Skies? No. It's kind of one of the first games for Xbox. It's a dogfighting game. Okay. It's pretty okay. good. He would also look to many other flight games for the do's and don'ts for this mission. A lot of don'ts. <laughs> um, he also came up with the saber and the mission designers properly integrated it into the game if the player stays outside instead of entering the launch facility they can fight an endless amount of covenant waves so if you just want to kind of rack up the medals and mm-hmm. have some fun there you go there you go honestly has anyone ever done it forever because if you kill let's say billions you might have killed the whole covenant man foolish 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 to have continued with that campaign right and supposedly, 40 minutes of gameplay was cut from this mission. Yeah. I assume it was all garbage space battle. It's, they never commented on that when, it, when the developers yeah. were talking about that. I, I think it was probably a good chunk of that was space battle, but mm-hmm. probably some other things like in the beginning. In the beginning, and probably some of the ship stuff that kind of just like led mm-hmm. you in and led you out. Well, as I said, I think that beach portion of the mission should have been extended. That mm-hmm. That's just me, though. Like, to give it more of that Saving Private Riot feel like... It's not going to be easy getting in this facility, but really it takes like a few minutes. Yeah, and you just kind of waltz in. Mm -hmm. But through a glitch, a player can drive a Seraph before entering the Saber facility. Mm -hmm. And I believe there's also a couple missions that are kind of like that to enter into certain vehicles. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, in New Alexandria, I think. mm -hmm. There's a few of those. In the hangar at the end of the level, which is kind of what we talked about before, make sure that you enter that Pelican turret. Mm-hmm. because you need to murder everything. Yep. It's a way to do it. And to give you your hashtag legendary walkthrough, you'll find the data pad on a platform by the Saber. So I, I think that's that's pretty accurate. You can mm-hmm. find that. And also, we have with our just regular hashtag walkthrough, very, 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 very detailed walkthrough, the data pad will be in a small control room in the Saber facility. Yep. Honestly, I think it's pretty easy to find. Yeah, I mean, if you guys don't find it after listening to this episode... You're a bunch of fools. Yeah, just wrong. We, we, uh, we couldn't have been more specific. But yeah, so now let's move on to, I think this might be my favorite mission, which is Exodus. All is not lost. Evacuate civilians from an occupied city. AKA the multiplayer map. So this mission starts out with Noble Six looking at this, this giant carrier Corvette. I can't remember what it is. On these mountains, it came from the sky. The, the one, the, the sections that weren't blown into another dimension or mm-hmm. wherever. And you see that he has, like, a limp, and this is all through the perspective of this pack that he has on, like, re-entry pack. So it's really cool. Like, you see he he limps over, he grabs a gun, sees that it has some ammo, and is, like, checking his comms and realizes, like, he's in the middle of nowhere. So he just has to literally just limp on. And eventually he does find his way into the city of New Alexandria. This is where we see that multiplayer map, and we start— And a a bear. And a bear, yes, yeah. Because we're starting to see, like, a lot of, like, dead bodies around the area. So we're starting to see, I think for the first time, the true, f- like, the true force of a Covenant invasion in a city. So I just thought that was really interesting. This is the first one where we actually see, like, lots and lots of civilians. So 
you start to make your way into the heart of the city. You run into a few skirmishers. And then I love like in the comms as you make your way into like the basement of this building, you hear the comms of like these guys are like, hey, you better watch out. There are some suicide grunts. And then all of a sudden you run into like 12 suicide grunts who all have to come at you. So once you make your way through like this basement area that I think like looks like a laundromat, I don't know what it is, you run into for the first time Brutes. And I'm going to say this right now, as much as I love this game, this is the worst design for Brutes. They are bad. They're the simplest Brutes to kill as well. But I mean, they're really stripped down to almost like less armor than they had in Halo 2. But Mm -hmm. you eventually now are fighting off Brutes because in this mission... There are no elites. The brutes kind of have replaced them. So you're fighting off the brutes and you're making your way more and more into the city. And you you eventually find yourself in this plaza where you do this quick firefight encounter. And then you move on into this elevator. And this is when you meet up with a group of ODST, better known as the bullfrogs, because they all work with jetpacks. I, I can kind of see it, but I don't know how well bullfrogs jump. So maybe the reference is obscure. Who knows? But yeah, so then after that, you make your way onto other plazas and you're starting to clear out more and more Covenant and you have to make your way onto this, what do you call it, this landing zone where you have to take out these two AA guns, mm-hmm. essentially. And after you do that, you have to make your way to this area on a Falcon. It's kind of like a rail mission where you can sit there and use the gun to take out a bunch of Covenant but you have to activate these AA batteries because they're trying to evacuate civilians on this like beach area. And at one point you see a ship you can hear over the comms. The ship's like, you know, the, the guy piloting is like, listen, we need to go because we can't wait any longer. And as the civilian ship makes its way out, let's assume it has thousands of civilians. It gets shot down by the covenant. So we're starting to see like, you know, it's not just like some soldiers dying, dying or anything like that. We're seeing civilians getting killed from this. So you make your way onto the beach. You activate both AA batteries, which this is also a firefight map, by the way. And then you make your way into like this room, this station area, and you activate these these anti-air batteries. And so that way, multiple civilian ships can now escape. And now we have saved thousands of lives. And this is when Kat finally gets a hold of you. You finally get a hold of Kat, and she says, you know, hey, we're going to come pick you up, but we haven't been able to get a hold of George. And that's when, he's, you know, Noble Six says, he didn't make it. And so she says, I understand. And she comes, and she picks up a Six. And that's ending the mission Exodus, which, again, one of my favorite missions easily. Now, let's talk about a little bit of trivia. As I stated before, this is the first mission with no elites. They've been replaced by the Grunts. Now, this is the only level the player will start with a wounded status and with the health bar reading five blocks from the center or like the amber level. So now let's talk about the legendary walkthrough. The walkway to the right where the civilians evac will have a data pad on an air vent. So then any difficulty walkthrough, after you get to the first area with the jetpack, you can find the data pad on the top of a platform. Pretty straightforward instructions for you there, guys. Mm Mm-hmm. We move on to New Alexandria. Provide air support in a forest of crumbling skyscrapers. And in this one, you get ordered by Cat to assist the destruction of several Covenant comms jams mm-hmm. that are in the area that'll help kind of get Buck, because we're kind of seeing Buck's Falcon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he, he's one of like the, there's like what, you said like 10 side things you have to do, and you only have to do like three of them, so like he occurs sometimes. 
New Alexandria begins with this cutscene with uh, Noble Six on the back. Is it Pelican or is it a fa- in, the, in the Falcon? It might be a Pelican. It is a Pelican. I think it's actually. a Pelican. Whenever you pick all the, everybody up, you ride in the back of it, mm-hmm. and it's like a really solemn moment with just you back there, kind of hanging out the mm-hmm. back. Seeing the city being destroyed. Yeah. And that was like, I remember they said that was difficult for them to pull off because it's hard to pull off like a minute or minute and a half cutscene with no dialogue. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, because what they wanted, you just see the city just destroyed and you see the music playing in the background. And it's like, you know, some games take a turn for the worst later on, but it's like pretty early on in this game. You're like, nah, this is a losing battle. Yeah. So, so as you, as you come to and you're able to play your character, you are on. I guess like a landing bay, like almost like a helicopter pad area. Mm -hmm. And there is a Falcon waiting for you. Mm -hmm. And so your mission is various, but you're supposed to go around kind of all of New Alexandria area doing these various tasks that you have Cat kind of ordering you to do. Mm -hmm. You know, one is to deal with this jammer that's in a club. Mm-hmm. One is doing some like AA things on top of all these buildings. One is protecting, um, I think it's Buck's Falcon mm-hmm. as he kind of transports stuff around. One's to get some Marines out. So there's various tasks. Yeah, I think like, but there's those three jammers that you have to take out with those like side tasks. Exactly. So yeah. you have some side missions. Is a side mission each paired with kind of doing those jammers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so once you get all those jammers taken care of, Cat then calls you to activate the Oni HQ mm-hmm. and to kind of help with dealing with the Banshees around the area mm-hmm. and figuring those aspects out. It's a, it's it's not a quick mission per but yeah. se, but it's 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 pretty streamlined and it it is kind of like that pipeline mission. Mm-hmm. Of, hey, here's the various things that might happen, depending on what like, RNG gives you for missions and when you have to do them. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's definitely not an easy one if we wanted to like really discuss it. It's just like, these three things, go. Yeah, and you, so you, you get into these various areas that you have to turn them off, or the first one, like I said, being the club, which is popping. It's a great mm-hmm. club. Oh, yeah. The second being a remake of, is it Towers? What's that? The Halo 2 map. Yeah. I can't, name escapes me. Sorry, guys. But it's a remake of pretty much where you played Rockets all the time. Mm-hmm. It has the elevator and, and whatnot. So, so you have to go to the back, hit it. Um, once you hit it, the Yanmae, will, or the buggers, will come out and attack you. You mm-hmm. have to make your way back to this elevator that you went up. Mm-hmm. And the last one is kind of another big spire area with an engineer in the center protecting everybody. Take that out. Take out the rest of them. Turn it off. You're yeah, good. Go down. Go to the back. Come back up. So, yeah, it's like you clear out brutes and then elites show up after you do that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of wash, rinse, repeat stuff. Yep. And one thing I really like as these missions progress, the actual scenery changes with you. Mm-hmm. So once you do the the first two, you have a covenant carrier that starts glassing mm-hmm. the area behind you. Yeah. And it starts to get redder and, and fire and mm-hmm. just burn. And so, yeah, once you get over to Oni... You then land, it goes to a cutscene where you go inside, and it's kind of like a quote-unquote reunion. Mm-hmm. Gets all of what's left of Noble yeah. back together, and you have Holland reach back in, like trying to deal with mm-hmm. comms and trying to figure out what's going on, and let them know that, hey, stuff's going down. Yeah. Like Covenant, Covenant vehicles are leaving the area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, yeah, so that, that implies a glassing, and then doesn't he say like, you also need to go back to Sword Base and destroy that now because the Covenant have it. So yeah. now you so, have to go take it over. Go do that. And as they're talking, Cat's kind of talking about you know what they're going to do. And as they're as it's happening, pretty much right outside, you have Covenant ship start glassing and it just shatters the glass, starts to tear apart the building, and they make their way to the 
is it, they're basically the elevator right taking the elevator yeah, down. Yeah, they they take like, and they split up too. So it's like Cat and Noble Six in one elevator, mm-hmm. and then June Carter and Emil in another one. That's right. So elevator one, they make their way out, and as mm-hmm. you're running with Cat, uh, unfortunately, she's shot with a you know uh, all these characters keep dying the same way in our stories. A single shot from a kneeler rifle to the back of her head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mid-sentence, because she's like complaining about, mm-hmm. why is Colonel Holland basically making us do this mid-sentence? Oh, yeah, falls it was, over. It was super quick, and it's it's the first really impactful death for me. Yeah. George's was there, but you know you just knew it. You didn't mm-hmm. see it. This was a shock to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but once again, there's two characters in the last two episodes that have died from needles. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but yeah. Get some better armor. Well, even in that scene, like the music's a little more suspenseful and then it just cuts and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you hear this somber piano playing. That's when, you know, that uh zealot is in a phantom and flies away. And then that's when Noble Six drags her body inside the elevator. Why why were they shooting why were they shooting like stormtroopers? I don't know. This man. dude got a perfect sniper shot from like a moving vantage point, and mm-hmm. then you have all these Spartans come out that can't hit him and he's like right up there in the corner. I don't know, man. The vol- like, you know, bullets don't always just go straight, you know, and he was higher up there, so they, they move. I don't know. I'm not a physicist. Uh, to go back a little bit, Jesse thought that gravity was invented in 1930s Looney Tunes cartoons. Not true. That's a whole other story. That's a whole other story, but that's not true. But anyway, uh, so unfortunately, <laughs> after Cat's death, they get in the elevator. It's a whole to-do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's then that grand scene of they're waiting... They're on the ground and they're, you know, they throw their flares out and Carter is carrying Kat's body. Mm -hmm. So it's like this really, you know, as you said, like that's your first impactful death. And I think no one saw that coming. And I think how Bungie did that was just perfect. Well, yeah, because anytime we've ever seen like a hero's death, Mm -hmm. it's been like you said, like either through going down fighting. Mm -hmm. uh, It's been through a long played out sequence that you kind of figure was going to happen. Like Johnson's death was kind of shocking, but you, you kind of saw the lead up to it, mm-hmm. but this was just instantaneous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now for some trivia in this mission, players may actually encounter buck. And after saving him, he'll thank them and tell you, I owe you one Spartan. I'll see you in hell. That's the coolest way to say, see you to someone. I'll see you in hell. Yeah. Gotta love it. And club Arara, 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 as it is, <laughs> So when you first go there, there's a bunch of hunters, there's some brutes, there's some grunts that are around, but hidden throughout the skies mm-hmm. on two different buildings are two buttons that you can press. And what it is, is you actually play music in the clubs and it forces the grunts and the brutes to dance because the mm-hmm. actually hunters despawn. Yeah. And then you have one brute that's uh, kind of sitting there. And He's just the DJ. Did. Isn't there also a bartender brute mm-hmm. too? Yeah. So... That's always cool. Yeah, and there, and there are techno versions of Never Surrender or Siege of Madrigal. Dun, 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 stun, stun, yeah, and you can actually play both of them because if you hit both buttons, they'll go. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty fantastic. Uh, yeah. If you do do that, just don't hit anyone. If you hit someone and kill someone, it, it like knocks the transfers or like a record scratch. Yeah, it's kind of like a real life thing if you go to a club and, and you, you bump kill someone. Into, I was just going to say bump into and someone or hit someone. them. <laughs> exactly. There's also a shell-shocked army trooper in the first area that Noble Six goes to disable the jammer. He's upstairs in that same Halo 2 map we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And he's in kind of like one of those windows and just like freaking out like, they're, they're going to get me. Like, we, I have to end this. Like, we have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I let him live so he can live with his misery. <laughs> <laughs> as, as we all should. We mm-hmm. have to live with our misery. So, yeah, you can find him there. Players are also able to drive a pelican in this level through a series of tenacious events. And what might those be? 
you know, I'm not going to give you the walkthrough because I've never tried it, and uh, I just, I don't know. I've never tried, the video is very long. I've never watched the video. I just like it because Jesse put in the notes, <laughs> and he put tenacious. <laughs> and to get to our hashtag legendary, very detailed walkthrough, mm-hmm. uh, our first data pad is located on a building behind where the player starts, and it's around the bottom of the building on a ledge. So when you start, turn around, go down, bam. For a traditional hashtag detailed walkthrough, you'll find the data pad on the top of a building located to the northeast of the starting point of the mission. Moving on now, we have our next mission, which is the package. Your orders are to destroy Sword Base. Or are they? So this is when now Noble Six is still hanging out with his ODST buddies. So they're deployed on the ground and they have to make their way towards the Oni base but mm-hmm. first they have to take out was it one or two covenant aa guns i think you have to take out one uh yes yeah you have to take out one you it's it's very early on as well you find yourself in a scorpion tank so that's really nice like you get in that thing you eventually take out this aa tower and this is all areas that we've seen previously on the second mission the oni sword base so mm-hmm. they're kind of like recycling that but we usually always are seeing that in, in the Bungie era Halo games. Like, you know, you're you're going through a section and then turning around and going back. Or you're revisiting a section well, later Especially on. with the day-night cycle that they've mm-hmm. kind of added in this. It mm-hmm. kind of changed it up a bit. Yeah, it's like this, like, amber because it's like the, the planet is, like, kind of getting glass. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, that ashy look to it. But yeah, so eventually Noble Six takes out that AA gun, makes his way towards Oni Sword Base, where now we see, you know, before... It was a little messed up from that initial Covenant invasion on that second mission. But now we're to the point where it's just totally wrecked. It's it's totally destroyed. So now you have to make your way in there. And once you get in there, you meet up with the rest of Noble Team. And, and remember, your mission is to destroy the base entirely. The Covenant have it. There's a lot of secrets here. So now we have to destroy it. So eventually, Anti-Dot, their AI, takes Noble Team to the end of this hallway because... Noble Six meets up with the rest of Noble Team at the time, who was just Carter, June, and Emil, and Noble Six. And they find themselves at a dead end. And so they're all really confused because, you know, Antidot's like, listen, this is where it's telling me to go. But they're like, it's it's a dead end. There's nowhere else to go. And now we have these new specs that we just got from a different AI that says our, our point to blow up the base is 2,000 feet underground. But all of a sudden, the wall behind them opens up. And so they make their way in there and they find themselves in this elevator. This is where we learn that our girl, Dr. Halsey, in fact, is still alive. I I don't know how. Mm -hmm. Because she she buried herself 2,000 feet underground, as we learned, into this, what we learn is a forerunner structure that she had discovered. And so Carter's trying to tell her, like, listen... We're going to come and get you out of there because we need to blow this up. And she's like, I'm doing research here right now. You have to defend this station until I can finalize this research. So it's established like, all right, we're going to let her do this. And then once she's ready, we'll come get to her. So this is kind of a uh, this is really we see firefight generator defense because Mm -hmm. there's generators throughout this map that we can go through and activate. They do really nothing oh for like all the turret defenses yeah it's like a turret defense thing but they really don't do too terribly much but you find yourself in this firefight situation where eventually you take out all the covenant and then halsey says okay i'm ready come here 
So they make their way into her research facility and she's talking about how, all right, well, I need you to deliver this package. And the package is Cortana herself. And we hear like some iconic Halo 3 piano tracks playing in the background. And, you know, to put it in perspective of these characters, AIs aren't really like allowed to like choose their carriers or anything Mm -hmm. like that. But they're all surprised when Halsey says, listen, she has chosen Noble Six to take her to the Pillar of Autumn and get her off the planet because we've discovered something that's very important. What Mm -hmm. we, you know, what we found out, it's that data crystal from First Strike. So that's what they were kind of investigating and noodling with. Yeah. And so then they make their way out of the facility. And at that point, we see that the Oni base is now destroyed or that forerunner structure that they discovered. And afterwards, they meet up on the surface. And that's when June escorts Halsey out of there. And then it's now just Emil Carter and Noble Six getting on a separate Pelican. And something that's very important, and and remember before this, I had never read the books really, so I didn't know Halsey was live long after this game, but Carter tells June, like, listen, you need to protect this information, and that's when June says, I'll do what's necessary. And I was like, oh, God, they both died. He capped her. That's so crazy. Mm-hmm. That didn't actually happen. She went to Castle Base, and we'll talk about it when we talk about changes to lore, whatever. Yeah, so that's the end of the mission, essentially. So now moving on to some trivia. In the beginning of this mission, you're in like kind of like, I don't know, knee-high water. There were originally supposed to be dead Marines just floating on the surface of the water, which would have been so cool. Now, there's more geometry in the tunnel ride to the underground research facility than there is in all of Combat Evolved. So I think they said like they scaled it to like a mile or two, like to do that cutscene and whatnot. So now when the Spartans are in Halsey's lab, the concept art for noble team's faces can be seen in the screen behind her. That's cool. So I'm like, eh, we need to make their faces. Oh, I got some concept art here. Good enough. Throw it on there. Next. Additionally, when it comes to some uh, crazy things that people have done, it took YouTubers termaceous tricosity seven years to find a way into the destroyed red room in the sword base so that mission where the the door opens behind them and they make their way into the tunnel Mm -hmm. i watched i did watch this video of the things that these guys did to get into this room because it's only you only see in a cutscene. it's ridiculous i didn't know people could do this kind of (laughs) stuff it took them seven years to figure this out absolutely crazy Mm -hmm. but moving on there is a room in this level dedicated to fans that have grown the Halo community who aren't affiliated with Bungie or Microsoft, with seven stations highlighting them in the form of Dr. Halsey discussing them. This room is actually Dr. Halsey's research lab in the scene in the cutscene. So when a player enters the room, they they will hear the Siege of Magical playing or music akin to Delta Halo Suite and Roll Call. The room is filled with promotional posters from Halo Combat Evolved, Two, three, and ODST, and old photos of Jason Jones and Marty O'Donnell with a sick ass mullet. <laughs> so the seven stations that you have this red versus blue station, a halo.bungie.org station, seventh column station, the Warthog Jump station, charity projects, HFCS, and I like pie. So each one of these are like written as like Dr. Halsey talking about red versus blue or charity cool. projects. So it is really, really interesting. And there you have to do it during that firefight-esque section. I know Rooster Teeth has a video about it because 
they had their own little section. So why and I, not? I, and I believe that's also an achievement is mm-hmm. to get into her lab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not easy. So now let's move on to legendary walkthrough. The data pad will be located on the bridge on the other side of the map, but you have to take a bridge that's off to the right and find your way over, or you have to take this like rail to your right to go over the bridge. Over yonder, pretty much. Yep, that's as specific as we will be, because that's all you need. Now, any difficulty walkthrough. With that hashtag detailed walkthrough. The data pad is on a couch next to the entrance of Halsey's lab, so. And finally, our quote-unquote last mission Mm -hmm. the pillar of autumn deliver halsey's data package to the pillar of autumn (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yes yes okay (laughs) exactly so as we saw in the last one with kind of division of halsey going with june and then we have the rest of noble team going with carter Mm -hmm. so it's a meal noble six so you know you don't get a cool name Mm -hmm. and carter uh (laughs) take their own and so they are assigned to get over to the Pillar of Autumn, and mm-hmm. Halsey's here to get out of Castle Basin, just peace out. Yeah, just, just do, do her thing. I don't yeah. know what she does. Just leave. Well, if you read First Strike, Ghost of Ox, all the stuff you know, but... Yeah. But she just leaves. Just, yeah, to get out of here. <laughs> so anyway, as we see the teams kind of build up and leave, they're going through, and unfortunately, we get some enemy fire. Mm-hmm. And as it starts to rip through the pelican, they run up to the front to kind of see what's going on, and they realize that Carter has been wo- uh, mortally wounded. Yeah, he's, like, bleeding from his eyes. Yeah, he's, like, bleeding from his eyes. He's got, like, a chest wound. Mm -hmm. And basically tells them, hey, you need to get out of here and and at all costs get to the Pillar of Autumn. Mm -hmm. I'm going to spend as much time as I can, you know, wasting their time distracting them. Mm -hmm. And you and Emil both go to the back. You just tuck your arms in and and just jump out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like he... uh, And we didn't talk about this, that... Cortana is in this like case that was strapped to the back of Noble Six, but yeah. when he jumps, he's like holding that case. Mm-hmm. I don't get how that thing could have survived because it shows first person like mm-hmm. you rolling down oh. that hill and just getting your ass kicked. You know how it survives? How? It's like one of those bank tubes. <laughs> <laughs> so for kids that only know ATMs, banks used to have these tubes, and a lot still do, where you put your checks that you're depositing mm-hmm. or if you're getting cash out, and you stick it in there, you close the door, it goes swoop, and goes in. I think it's one of those, because those things are indestructible. As a child, that was very fascinating, and as an adult, it's still very fascinating. Uh, yeah, it's using vacuum <laughs> technology to like do stuff. That's great. So as you're holding your bank tube full of Cortana, <laughs> you then you then uh, you do your hard landing, and you make your way with a meal through a little bit of, like, not deserty areas, like canyon-y. Yeah, it's a canyon. Yeah, not desert, but canyon. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, so you're going through this canyon-y area, making your way up to where you're kind of seeing this mech gun. Mm-hmm. And you're making your way through, and as the mission goes, I kind of like you're starting to see the Pillar of Autumn. Mm-hmm. It's right there in the skybox. Can, can I add in, though? Add it in. That you can get the, if they hear to hear, if they came to hear me beg achievement, because that's the one where you jump and an elite breaks your fall by assassinating them. Yes, so that is this true. is this is the place to get that. And I can tell you I spent too much time doing this. And I think everyone else did too. Like if you're one of the fortunate souls that got this on the first try, buy a lottery ticket because you're a very fortunate person. <laughs> we beat him. And as they make their tumble, as they're going kind of through the canyon, we continue that cutscene on and we see that their path is actually blocked by scarabs. Mm-hmm. So we're actually getting some scarab action here. Mm-hmm. And Carter, being the cool badass that he is, mm-hmm. is like, I'm going to take him out. And goes ahead and crashes that pelican into that scarab, uh-huh. clearing the path for him, making the ultimate sacrifice. It was actually more important 
than what all of the rest of Noble team did for second places. <laughs> well, he even, I love, he says Carter out. Yeah. Boom, and it goes. And I think, is it before that you we do drive a mongoose through some scarabs, or mm-hmm. is it after this? Because that's the most, really, we see scarabs. It, it's before or after that. Yeah, I, I can't s- recall, but I know that he, because there's like a second one coming. Mm-hmm. So I know you deal with one, and the second one's coming, and he takes that one out, and, and, and you're going through it. Anyway, you're weaving yeah. your way through, and as you're going with Emil, you're making your way towards this base where you're going to basically be able to get the, 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 there's a pelican, is it a pelican going up there? I think there's a pelican, yeah. yeah there's, there's a pelican that will take you to the Pillar of Autumn, yes. but you have to get there. And that's the end goal, is to get up there by this Mac round, because you, you, the end goal is you're going to have to help with these Mac rounds mm-hmm. to take out these ships that are incoming, all these... Carriers and Corvettes and Yeah, whatnot. and everything that's kind of coming in, you're helping mm-hmm. take care of it. So you're making your way through there, you're making your way downtown, some might say, mm-hmm. and walking fast. Exactly. And as you get up there, you clear out enemies, you make it to the Mac gun, it's great. You're below it. You at do, this point. You do at one point pass through Boneyard. You do, yes. Yeah, so you pass through Boneyard. It's nothing like Invasion, so it's not that fun. There's no there's no A or there's no Covenant battery or UNSC battery to steal, but I digress. Nothing that's fun. <laughs> so to start this, Emil is going to be the one taking over the Mac Cannon. Mm-hmm. You're going to be the one kind of on the ground, dealing mm-hmm. with some troops, dealing with logistics, you know, paperwork. Firefight, stuff like that. Yeah, as you are. Firefight paperwork. Yeah, firefight paperwork. And then Emil has unfortunate I, I think they did him dirty mm-hmm. and gave him a really kind of bogus off screen death it was on it was it's not off screen it's off to the distance because that's when we see Jacob Keys come in and it's mm-hmm. like one of those things like a same voice actor everything like holy crap look at this Jacob Keys. last time we saw him he was this you know 2001 version now yeah. he's this 2010 version he's this hot old man like look at him he's crazy <laughs> but yeah and that's when he comes in and it, it's almost like he's he's really touching because you know noble six even says like you know other spartans died doing this and keys like even puts his hand on his arm and says like you know they will be remembered so even with just a few lines in the game we're already getting you know those key jacob key characteristics mm-hmm. but you know this is where that that quote-unquote, off-screen death happens. And so as that Covenant Phantom arrives on scene, it dispatches uh, a team of elite zealots on mm-hmm. top of Emil's position. Mm-hmm. And so Emil takes the first one out with a shotgun, but then gets stabbed in the admin by another and just kind of gets stabbed. Yeah, because it, like, picks him up and, like, he then pulls out his knife and shoves it in his throat and they fall down and you can hear him, like, dying. Yeah, so so it's kind of like tit for tat. He takes him out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a couple there because you then have to then yeah. go up to the Mac Cannon as mm-hmm. you make your way up these kind of stair lengths. There's elite zealots you're dealing with, mm-hmm. and as you kill them, you come up to Emil's body. You don't care apparently. Yeah. Well, I mean, even before that, like you're there because one of the Marines says, you know, to Noble Six, like, get on the Pelican, we're going, and he says, no, I'm going to get on this Mac gun because he knows, and then that's when he says, you know, good luck, sir, and that's when Jacob Key says, good luck to you, Spartan, and then. That's when, you know, as you said, you make your way to that Mac gun. Mm-hmm. And you, you hold down the fort. You're, you're doing the Phantoms and other ships that are coming in, keeping mm-hmm. them at bay, mm-hmm. trying to deal with this so that Keys can get back and the Pillar of Autumn can get out of there so that we can have Halo CE. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, this this game is all for Halo CE. Yeah, that's it's basically what it is for you. <laughs> and one of the biggest things that you do for the Pillar of Autumn is you take out, the I guess, the main gun or pretty much destroy 
this covenant ship is preparing to fire. Yeah, I think it's like a carrier or something. Yeah, and you, it's like four rounds, maybe four or five rounds. You got to get in the center of it. No, you just do one. You're you're battling a bunch of different phantoms, and then it doesn't and they, hit until that cuts. Yeah, it's like the boss sequence. They show their they show their weak giant red button, and, they and just then nail you just, them. Yep, there you go. You're right. And so as Noble Six makes that perfect money shot, mm-hmm. Pillow of Automus escapes through subspace. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this is where we now basically have the start of combat evolved, mm-hmm. and we have Keys asking if they've evaded the Covenant, to which Cortana replies, I think we both know the answer to that, mm-hmm. With the, and then the credits roll, right as the ship drifts off toward Installation 4, or mm-hmm. as we know it, the first Halo. Yep, and those were the same audio files used from the first game, and I mm-hmm. think even the music, too. They only upgraded the graphics. They didn't change any of the audio. It's great. Which I think is awesome. Yeah, and to jump into some trivia now, mm-hmm. the Pillar of Autumn is actually built to this to scale of what that ship would be in mm-hmm. orbit, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. The Master Chief makes an appearance in the Pillar of Autumn as it's departing. Yep, and that of course that's non canonical. It's just it's like nope, very canonical. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you heard it here first, folks. I said it. The Halo ring seen at the end of this mission is the OG untouched ring seen at the main menu of Combat Evolve. So, just, mm-hmm. like Jesse was telling me earlier, they just pulled that asset mm-hmm. and pretty much just. Drag and drop right in. Yeah, and since it was far enough away, they didn't they didn't need to upgrade the graphics or anything. Which I think something like that is so cool. Like the fact that it goes full circle with this game, but even the fact that they took that original ring, like that. When I found that out, I was like, oh my god, that's one of the coolest things I learned about researching. That's like, fantastic. That's so cool. And to jump to our hashtag legendary detailed walkthrough mm-hmm. in the invasion map area in this level mm-hmm. so when you're playing boneyard you'll find the data pad on the roof of the second building yep the second one you know obviously mm-hmm. and for your final hashtag detailed walkthrough you'll find the data pad in a room in the building you pass through before the final standoff yep obvious very detailed now of course you know the, the credits end and it's it's Bungie gives this very heartwarming message saying, you know, thank you for everything you've done and we're moving on now, blah, blah, blah. See you, nerds. are going to develop destiny, whatever. But so then, you know, after the credits roll and everything like that, we get Lone Wolf, which is my favorite mission in this game. Mm-hmm. Do you just like it because Noble Six dies? No, no, no. I actually like Noble Six. I think it's just it's. Unlike really anything you've had, mm-hmm. and it's one of those missions where when you first start it, like you know you're going to die because of the beginning of the game, mm-hmm. but it's also like, no, we get to survive this. Yeah, because you, you do know, but it's like you could just stand there and die, but you're like, no, I'm going to go down fighting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this final mission is Lone Wolf. Spartans never die. They're just missing in action. So after the credits, we see Noble Six just standing there in that that yard area, and we're just seeing just this invasion unfold. And it's just like, you know, you have this sad music playing, and now you just have to go and fight. You're just in this area, and it's it's like dusty as hell, Mm -hmm. and there's just like fog and just Mm -hmm. battle of wars going on. You can't see too far in front Mm -hmm. of you. And you see a bunch of other Spartan bodies around you, and the armor is always randomly generated, which I think they should have... Maybe done some Easter eggs in that. I digress. But yeah. So basically, as you're fighting, you see your damage or you see your helmet slowly start to get damaged and you're losing HUD elements. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all of a sudden you don't know how much ammo you have or anything like that. And after a while, I mean, clearly it's not much more to describe. All of a sudden a cutscene ensues 
and you see Noble Six is just getting fired upon. So Noble Six takes off their helmet and sets it down. And the rest of this cutscene plays through the camera that is on that mm-hmm. helmet because all of a sudden Noble Six is fighting off all these elites one after another, but slowly getting taken down. And finally, we see an elite zealot draw the the blade that's like in their arm, like their forearm armor, and go to swing down. And then the cutscene fades, and we just see then. That's the end of Noble Six. But of course, it does move on. Now we have the epilogue, and it's 30 years after the initial game, mm-hmm. uh, 2589. And this is, a, you know, we all of a sudden we're seeing life on Reach. It almost looks like nothing ever happened. And it's showing what we already know is that we did win the Human Covenant War. And this is where Dr. Halsey is providing what some people call like a eulogy to Noble Team. Because at the beginning of this game, we saw the destroyed reach and mm-hmm. we saw whatever dis- helmet you decide to use for is there your noble six it's destroyed 30 years later we see that same helmet sitting there and this is dr halsey saying you know like listen you you sacrificed your life you know you gave your body and everything to reach by the way if we didn't already talk about this noble six is dead developers already said he was dead dr halsey says he's dead Throw that that theory out out the window. It's not real. But yeah, so she overall just says, because of you, we won the war. You sacrificed mm-hmm. your body. And I think it was a really beautiful way to send this whole game off. Like, you went down fighting with this destroyed, awful planet, and then 30 years later, this planet is beautiful once more. I think it was awesome. I think it's great, because think of all the free fertilizer that both human and covenant bodies attributed to rebuilding it. This is true. I like that. I like that's where your mind goes. See, they need to pay nice. you the big pig bucks. That's what I'm here for. But yeah, that's that's the end of the game. So some trivia with this. There were 20 different versions of the ending that Bungie had conceptualized before they finally settled on this. Remember, as we said earlier in the episode, there was a debate on like, should we let Noble Six live? Should we never actually show that he dies? Like, what should we do? But I think that was the perfect ending. So, and this would have been cheesy. Originally, an eagle was going to land on Noble Six's helmet in the future cutscene. America! (laughs) So now let's talk about the legendary detailed walkthrough. Down the hill at the end of the pipe... Inside of it, you can find that data pad, the final data pad. Yeah. And this is the one, like you said, only on Legendary. Only on Legendary. So there's no more, there's no hashtag detailed walkthrough for you. Mm-hmm. You just got to, you got to fight them elites off. Got to fight them elites off. Legendarily. And, and, <laughs> and so, yeah, in case you haven't realized now by listening to this episode, maybe you've seen the title. This is it. This will be our second time that we will have to do a two-parter yeah because the the amount of research that went into this really we we didn't want to leave anything out that's why we're splitting it off in two two parts and we'll be picking up again next week so instead of waiting two weeks like you would any other time like we did with halo 3 you only have to wait a week with that being said that is the episode that is part one of halo reach and we haven't really dived too much into our opinions yet so we're going to save that for part two tune in next week so you can hear part two there's still a lot more we want to talk about with this with the multiplayer maps the music the reception everything else it's going to be a good time yeah and and thank you all so much and it's Awesome to do these episodes for you guys. And one big thanks for all of this is our patrons. Mm-hmm. And we say this every episode, but we have a bunch of cool exclusive content, some exclusive prints, some very cool things for you guys to check out there. And want to thank our patrons as always. Mm-hmm. So to start off, I want to thank you, Angry Canadian, Baby Z, Charles Zitter, Dust Storm, Grant Dillon, Harvey Chong, Tactics, 
Pasquale Orozco, Skyjack, and Slam Duncan 87. Thank you guys so much for the support. Really appreciate it. Yep. You guys are the OGs as always, as well as MVPs. We really appreciate the support. With some Patreon support, it really helps us kind of move forward. It's really cool. It's awesome. We appreciate you guys. As always, check us out on YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anything like that, as well as you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all social. We're there if you ever have a question for us. Please let us know. Mm -hmm. If you want to join our Discord where it's always has a bunch of conversations going on all the time, please join. It's really cool. If you can't find it in the episode descriptions, just message us on social and we will gladly send the invite to you. Definitely. And with that, I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. Halo. It's finished. No. I think we're just getting started.